This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends, and uh, happy post-eclipse hangover. Many people still rubbing their eyes from yesterday. Little uh, bloodshot. <clears throat> Man, I got a great... Uh, Got a great look last night. Or not last night, yesterday. In the next few days, the blind spot should start showing up if you yeah. have been affected. So, If, uh, if you're like, apparently like President Trump just looking at the sun, <laughs> then you're in trouble. I loved watching it on NASA.com and watching all of the angry comments coming in. Like, why are you guys still talking? Why aren't you just showing footage of... The moon really? and the sun. Like, just be quiet. Yeah, they just kept talking and showing all the science behind it, and everybody's just like, yeah, just show it. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> shut your mouth and just there show it. There is a reverent part of that. I mean, it was I, – I heard people had were crying, not here, yeah, yeah. but in some places well, they were if crying. You're, if you're, if you're these, looking the, at it, then you're crying, of If course. you're in these tent cities, yeah. you've, you've put a lot of work into getting there, and you've spent a lot of time. Yeah. You're amongst all these people that are there all for the same reason. It yeah. gets dark. You have a sunset all around you. It was pretty neat. My wife was expecting it to get pretty dark here, like it did in Oregon, yeah. you know, but we were only at, what, 90%? Yeah. It is interesting how – once you've looked at it the first time, you're like, oh, yeah, look, okay, that's what the, that's what the it sun. is. All right, cool. And then now what? The rest of the time, you're just kind of staring at each other, like, wow, it's like it's getting a little cooler here. Yeah. You notice it's getting cooler? <laughs> it's cooling up. I mean, what? Then what do you say? I got in my car soon after my headlights were on. They have the automatic uh, lights. Oh, really? Oh. It was dark enough that my lights came See, on. See, I saw everybody else's lights on because I was in the car at that time. And so I thought, oh, maybe they know something I don't. So I turned mine on. Yeah. I thought maybe it would save my eyes. I did just you not hear about the eclipse? <laughs> <laughs> I just have that sensor and it just automatically, I look down and I go, oh, my lights are on. Oh, wow. It's really That's that dark. It was neat. It was very unifying for all of uh, those it was, it was a good distraction for the early afternoon. It really was. Yeah, I think most people, though, just were, just like you said, were thinking, "Oh, that was good." How much longer can I milk this before I have to well, go back you don't to work? Want to look like, you don't want to look like you're insensitive. Like, okay, yeah. that's it. You should care more. Yeah, and then <laughs> then there's the fear of missing out. So if mm. you were in inside trying to work, you're thinking, "Well, should I be out there?" Pretending like, like I'm into this. We yeah. could have taken the whole day off at work and nobody would have cared. Yeah. I thought it was kind of anticlimactic. I think back in uh, way, way back when you didn't know what was going on. Right. You think like this could be the end of the world. That's what I kept saying. Up, Every yeah. time you look up, like, oh, it's just science. It explains this. So it's I kept kinda, saying, <laughs> when, so when, is that when what, do the earthquakes start? Is that oh. what you were ranting and raving mm-hmm. about, running up and yeah. down the aisles, that's why pulling call, your hair out? Right, that's why they called the paramedics. Yeah. Because I was sure it was over, and, we they, and they were late because they were watching the eclipse. I know. They all came on. They all came in with their glasses on. It was a. I'll have to admit, it was kind of fun to punch you and just to settle you down. Was that you? It you, you were uh, you were the one that hit um, me. I admit nothing. It's kind of rude. Well, we hope you all survived, and I hope you survived the commute. Some people were still coming back from Idaho, like really late into the morning. Or early into the morning, I guess. In Oregon, some with that camp I showed you the picture yeah. of, some were saying they weren't going to leave till Wednesday. 
Let the, yeah. let the traffic dissipate. What's, What's the, the rush? What's the hurry? I don't have a job, apparently. <laughs> no place to get back to. <laughs> yeah, I'm now Other people were, I didn't... were packed up before it started, so the second the eclipse was over, they're on the road. But you know See, you just smart. go get in traffic. Yeah, absolutely. That's crazy. It's like the people that tried to beat the traffic from the stadium. You're part of that group that's now yeah, in the traffic. Just wait it out. Yeah. Continue the, you know, tailgating party. Well, uh, it is now Tuesday, and you're back to work. Right, you gotta you gotta work now. Sorry, but uh, yeah, hey 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 hey, sit down. Don't make me call security. By the way, security was up there too. Really? Yeah, we we let so security. Who was, who was watching things down here? Who was watching the house? Nobody. All sorts of people were sneaking in. Yeah, seriously. Hey, you don't belong here. We uh, today we're going to be talking about how to get better sleep. I, last night, what, what had is seven that? hours of sleep last night. What is that? Sleep's this thing you do that restores completely your mind, your body, your soul, your spirit. And you got seven hours, seven of, hours. of that? Yep. Wow. I felt like this heaviness, post-eclipse heaviness. It's like it, I ran a marathon. It sounds miraculous. Yeah, it is. And in huh. fact, you need seven hours, seven like 7.75 hours if you're a man. But if I get more than six, I'm all achy. What? Yeah, I just my my body hurts. What do you I'm sleep on? Just my mattress, rocks. Yeah, I sleep on S- my rocks. So what is it called when my mouth opens and I make this odd noise, like a yawn? Is that what it is? Yeah. It, do you huh. expel air? Yeah. Or are you like trying to gasp for more air? Is there does does that mean something's wrong with me? No, it means you're normal and you need oh. more sleep. Or your oh. brain's hot, depending on your theory of yours. <laughs> it also might exactly. It also might mean that you have a baby in your house. Oh, because a lot of times, yeah, babies make you tired, make or, you tired. or yawn a lot and make it. That's a contagious yeah. thing. Oh, I love doing that, messing everybody up. Have we had a guest on the show about that? Whether or not yawning is contagious? No, we have done a story that they believe it might be a way that you get relieve or, or change and adjust your temperature. We've had that. We've talked about that story. Yeah. What? Before. Hot brain. Hot brain. Yeah. Like that. You got to do that. And Shake it, gets, it up. You get a little of the heat off the brain. It's true. <laughs> it's like a, yeah, it's like a radiator. Uh, so we'll be talking about how to sleep better with a sleep expert. We'll get into caffeine as well, what caffeine does to your sleep mm-hmm. and to your body overall. There's just so much. It's a great article out of the Atlantic that we'll be talking about and, uh, a lot of information there. Plus, of course, some more empty news, just news you didn't know you need to know. Uh, we'll get to all of that. I think later in the show we'll even be interviewing Mo Pluto. Really? Like I think hour number two. Mm. We're going to talk to Mo about uh, – not about our eclipse because he could care less. He's actually kind of mad because apparently he had his big event last night where he was taking on a mass near him. The oh, mysterious wow. mass. The mysterious yeah. mass. Yeah. And uh, nobody seemed to care. Especially, we didn't talk about it at all, so he's ticked. Well, I can't believe it. Mo Pluto has he ever come on the show happy? <clears throat> no, that's mm. the problem. That's why. That's why he's a dwarf planet banished to the outer darkness. And he's, it's, just, he's just a cold guy. He's, he's just, just cold. disgruntled. Yeah. yeah, he's a cold planet, dwarf planet. So we'll get to all that fun straight ahead. But first, let's get to Terry South. Terry, uh, tell us what we need to be knowing here around the world. President Donald Trump on Monday said the United States' new approach to the war in Afghanistan does not amount to nation building, but rather killing terrorists. 
Yeah. That's a good goal, I guess. I mean, really. I mean, I we can't build nations, so let's no. just get good at killing terrorists. <laughs> right. He said U.S. support for Afghanistan is not a blank check and acknowledged his recent skepticism of increasing involvement in the Middle East nation. Trump said pulling out of the country would create a vacuum similar to the one that was created in Iraq when Americans' uh, gains there flip back to the hands of terrorists, namely ISIS. We cannot repeat the mistakes in Afghanistan that our leaders made in Iraq, Trump said, adding future decisions on troop levels will be based on conditions rather than time. He also urged Pakistan, a neighbor of Afghanistan, to work with the U.S. rather than harbor criminals and terrorists. Yeah. He made a great point that you don't tell everybody when you're leaving. Right. The minute you're telling everybody when you're leaving, then they just all start making plans for when you're gone. Right. You always surprise them when you leave. That's what I do with my family. And then they'll know anyways. Yeah. And, and the number they're talking about for a troop buildup is 4,000, except he, that wasn't mentioned by the president. He didn't give a number. I'm not giving you a number because that'll tell you our strategy. Like our 36 to 39 allies in the area, they all know. Yeah. The military knows. Yeah. The media is reporting it. Right. But the president didn't report it to the, the people. The fake media. Well, they all know. By the way, he also got down on Pakistan. He did. How, how do you harbor our enemies and still expect billions of dollars yeah. from us? They've been careful with how they've dealt with them because they're trying yeah. to help us a little bit, too. So it's kind of... We did find Bin Laden there, didn't we? Well, he was down the street from their military academy, but that's different. <laughs> that's different. Remains from some of the 10 Navy sailors who went missing after the USS John McCain crashed near Singapore on Sunday have been found in a compartment mm. of the warship, according to the commander of the U.S. Pacific Fleet. CNN report on Monday that the ship suffered a steering malfunction just before the collision, though it isn't. it still isn't clear why the warship's uh, backup steering capability weren't utilized to regain control. In addition to the 10 sailors who went missing in the accident, five other service members were injured. On Monday, the Navy announced an operational pause in naval operations around the world so the fleet commanders can assess what's going on and why ships keep crashing into other ships. Again, it seems like you may not want to announce that because now North Korea is like, all right, go for Guam. Go for Guam right now. Everyone's down. (laughs) Go for Guam. They might be a little busy... uh, moving uh, chemical weapons to Syria. That's the new news from them this morning. Oh, really? Yeah, they were caught. So we'll see what happens there. Billionaire entrepreneur Elon Musk and Google artificial intelligence developer Mustafa Suleiman had a list of 116 tech experts who implored the United Nations to preemptively ban lethal autonomous weapons. Hmm. In layman's terms, killer robots. Before it's too late. Ban killer robots. Yeah, central to the experts' concern is how killer robots could change the risk calculations and casualties of war. While autonomous weapons may make battlefields safer for soldiers who can be removed from the scene, and the same is not true for civilians who have the misfortune of being nearby. A killer robot's ethics will only be as good as its programming, which could vary widely depending on the government or terrorist organization controlling it. Autonomous weapons also raise troubling and complicated questions of accountability and resource in the event of mistakes. The letter asked the UN to add killer robots to a list of banned conventional weapons, which currently includes landmines, intentionally blinding lasers, and other technologies deemed to be excessively injurious or to have indiscriminate effects. Wow. They're worried about drones yeah, and uh, like autonomous tank-like weapons that you can sit in a uh, motorhome in Las Vegas and control exist, on the other side of the planet. Yeah, they're testing But them. autonomous would be, right, self-driving, self-destructive. Self well, chasing. Yeah, but I mean, you could set a program; it would just oh, run the program. That's just scary. Can yeah. you imagine? That's a bad dream. Now right it there. keeps the, the like in our case the unit like with the drone systems they're using. It keeps those U.S. pilots out of danger. Sure, 
But at the same time, we have a lot of problems where we're bombing civilians. Right. Well, I mean, just imagine a Roomba with a 38 on it. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of dangerous. It's like a scary thing. Yeah. Honey, did you turn the Roomba off? I'm coming home. No, I didn't, honey. Uh-oh. Bam, bam. Yeah. Yeah, not or, good. Or, or maybe the cat. Who knows? Oh, boy. You don't, you don't want that problem either. Because cats, <laughs> I've seen the videos, cats like to ride Roombas. Yeah. If there's a 38 I, there. Cats love a good Roomba. And finally, on mm-hmm. a lighter note, uh, did you watch the Jetsons loved as a, ch- them. As a yeah. kid? Yeah, yeah. Or was that like your young adult phase? No, that was a, that was a child. I loved the Jetsons. ABC apparently is in the works for a Jetsons live action series. Excellent. Based on the Hanna-Barbera cartoon, the series would be a multi-cam sitcom set 100 years in the future that follows the exploits of the Jetson family. Hmm. Robert Zemeckis. Zemeckis. There is Zemeckis. There we go. The executive producer, along with uh, other people, are uh, a lot of. So they they produce shows like Family Guy, Will and Grace. They they will write and executive produce the show. Um, The original Jetsons animated series aired for 24 episodes. Hold on, is that all? That's it from 1962 to 1963. Oh, that's sad. It was a primetime cartoon that they oh, aired during that time. Kind of like the Flintstones, but yeah. in the future. Uh, it followed George, Jane, Judy, and Elroy Jetson along with their robot who was named... Remember the robot's name? Um, no. Rosie. Rosie, yeah. Remember Rosie the, the robot. And the family dog, Astro. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The series later revived by Hanna-Barbera in 85 and syndication with 41 new episodes produced. And then there was a Jetsons movie... And then recently there was, and I saw this one too, the Jetsons uh, had a direct dvd release, the Jetsons and WWE Robo WrestleMania. Whoa. Excellent. So they, they took, they, there was a flop of Jetsons characters to our time and then wrestle, you know, pro wrestlers to the future. Okay. Yeah, it was dumb. It makes sense. <laughs> you know, there was an episode where the Jetsons met the Flintstones. Yeah, there was a movie Somehow. There was, again, a time warp. and they... There's always a time warp. Yeah. I used to be in love with Judy. Is that the daughter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was really pretty to me. <laughs> she had good coloring. Nobody, could, nobody was better colored than Judy. So is that a good use of television? Well, Remake a live action Jetsons? Yeah, that's incredible. Or should they just make the cartoon with new episodes? Well, okay. You're asking the guy that was flipping through the channels and found um, bachelors and bachelorettes in paradise yesterday. And so I have a really good feeling anything would be better television than that. Yeah. Animation's expensive, so maybe they're going the live um, action route for a reason. And there's a lot of BYU students that do animation. So if we can employ more of them, that'd be great. Plus, Hmm. if we can get Judy back and get her recolored. I'm sorry, but she passed. What? Judy? What? <laughs> Judy's gone. <laughs> it's the future. They have all the solutions to diseases at that point. They live in those high-rise buildings. Yeah. They fly in the jet cars. Um, speaking of they geckos. Automatic dog walkers. Sorry, go ahead. Speaking of geckos, um, did you hear this guy had a gecko pulled from his ear? Ugh. So I, you know, every once in a while, I like to bring you a good ear story. Maybe that's why I don't hear so well. No, probably. Have you? Hmm. There's. A, you probably need to go to China because this guy had an earache, and he didn't know why. So he went to the doctor, 
and the doctor found that he had a gecko in his ear. How big was it? It was a it was a little gecko. I mean, probably about an inch and a half long. Oh, but and the doctor pulled it out, but when it when he pulled it out, it was still missing its tail. So so he's got a tail in there somewhere. Just a gecko tail. I mean, mm. that beats like a goat. I guess if you had a goat tail in your ear, you'd know, right? So he had a gecko in his ear, and they pull it out, and it's a full-on gecko, a live gecko. Maybe I have a goat tail in my ear because my wife's always asking me to trim my ears. Your your ears or your, the hair in your ears? Yeah, it's probably – you're, um, but your wife's totally right because when you wear that headset right there, you've always got a little bit of goat hair hanging out the side. It's, oh, man, it's really tough. You've got your fidget spinner and I just twirl that hair. Yeah. You just twirl that cute little goat tail. Um, and I, I do it. Today I brought in a fidget spinner, but I, I didn't want to announce it because I didn't want my son to know that I have it. Well, plus you wanted Don Shaline to think that you're actually working. Yeah, instead of just fidgeting. Uh, well, we're going to find out in a minute if sleep helps you relax a little bit uh, more. James Hamblin will be joining us, a, sp- a sleep expert, and we're taking on – and we're going to give you, if you didn't know, we're going to give you the ABCs of how to sleep better. So stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend helping you get a good uh, – the Matt Townsend Show helping you get a good night's sleep. In a society where we feel like we have a lack of things, one of the top things on on most of our lists that uh, we'd love to have more of is that uh, nighttime of Z's. Sleep is one of those things that we seemingly can't get enough of. Here to speak with us today about it is Dr. James Hamblin, the author of If Our Bodies Could Talk, A Guide to Operating and Maintaining a Human Body. And today we'll be talking about sleep. Uh, welcome to the show, Dr. Hamblin. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. This is, uh, this is, I think, I mean, the age-old issue. Everybody knows we need more sleep or we're going to die or not be able to, to focus on things. But in your article, Man Alive, James, you, it, it's probably the most detailed article I've ever seen in, um, in a magazine, ever. Like, you covered it all <laughs> when it comes to sleep. And so I appreciate it. You are a writer and a senior editor at The Atlantic and a, a medical doctor. So... Um, talk to us about uh, what you're learning about sleep. Why is it why is it so important? Well, you know, I personally didn't give sleep that much thought until I got into medical training and residency. Um, you know, you need doctors in the hospital overnight, so uh, you have to work these really long shifts. Like I, I work thirty hours at a time, and, and that's common for doctors in training. And uh, when you push yourself to that sort of extreme, you start to really notice these um, cognitive deficits, sort of. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there have been studies that show it's an equivalent of being near intoxication with alcohol, or at least near a, a, a driving uh, legal limit of intoxication. So you start to notice deficits like that and then appreciate that, well, you know, it's not like when you hit 28 hours, all of a sudden you become cognitively impaired. It's just a continuum of 
sleep deprivation. And, and a lot of us are just used to dealing with very low levels of that on a daily basis. Um, and, and so, you know, a lot of us could do a, a much better, be more productive in our lives if we actually spent more time sleeping. Yeah. How much sleep do we need? Is there... I mean, because everyone's different, right? Every body is different. But on average, it seems like most of us aren't getting enough. So how much is enough? Right. Uh, so it does come down, yeah, ultimately to knowing yourself and and trying to be aware of exactly what your threshold is. And you can have too much. You can you can sleep past the point where, where you're doing yourself any good and possibly even slowing yourself down. The average that the studies come up with when you group together all people is seven and a half hours. So I think that's a good, a good baseline to start from. But the most important thing to uh, think about when you're figuring out what your threshold is, is that it's extremely hard and many say it's impossible to ever move that threshold, that it's sort of ingrained in you. You can't train yourself to need less. And, and, and that uh, it's not a sign of, strength or virtue to go with less sleep. Yeah, uh, you're, you're not more threshold. cool if you can sleep less. Yeah, but which we tend to think about in our culture, right? If you're the one who's at work calling the all-nighters, you know, you're considered to be super dedicated or just hardcore, but, but really um, there's not a lot of areas in uh, other areas in which, you know, self-harm or not taking care of yourself in such a, a deliberate way is uh, similarly applauded in in our culture. So it starts with kind of you yourself saying, no, that's just simply not a good way. I, I'm just not effective when I'm sleep deprived. So yeah. It's not an option. Can you, can you train yourself? Uh, I mean, I know, and, and you cited some uh, examples about the military trying to train their people to be able to get by with less sleep. So there is, there's getting by, and it kind of depends what you need to be able to do. There, there's uh, some transoceanic sailors, which you, you kind of when you're when you're doing a, a sailing race uh, 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 for a long duration, you kind of have to be able to sleep in short bursts and not sleep that much. And people have been able to train themselves to sleep very little, uh, but there has not been conclusive studies that people can do so without um, cognitive deficits, without seeming impaired. You might be able to be awake enough to, you know, uh, uh, to, to sail or to, to do some basic thing that you, you're really good at and doesn't require uh, a high-level uh, cognitive performance, but it is not without cause. Mm. Talk to us about what is actually happening in our brains when we're sleeping. It's it's not just restorative because of energy that it might replace, right? There's there's more going on that which is what makes it such a critical function. Right, right, and that's what the, the most interesting area of emerging research is we still, you know, don't fully understand why we need to sleep and why every animal sleeps. Um, but the more that that process is studied in trying to work toward understanding that, it seems like, yeah, there are there are actual processes going on in the brain that might be sort of like uh, taking a shower, kind of cleaning out all of the... Um, the products of the uh, 
metabolism, all that's going on in your brain during the day when it's in use and sort of washing that all away and letting it start over. Hmm. And, and if you don't do that, then you can have uh, long-term effects of uh, essentially accumulation of what you're not getting to wash out during sleep. So really, yeah, yeah, it it, it does uh, it, it eliminates certain things and like metabolism. I would never have even thought of that, but boy, if all of a sudden there's a tie to your sleep and metabolism, uh, that's that's a pretty tricky thing. Or just like even all chemistry management um, and maintenance, because so much of our body is chemical. What does um, when when what is it that's keeping us awake? Are we getting less sleep today? Um, than maybe we were 30, 40 years ago? Or has this battle with trying to get enough sleep always been going on? It's always been going on. We definitely have better data right now. Uh, You know, everybody's been to uh, tracking and self-monitoring, and and it's easier to know that people are definitely uh, sleep-deprived. But it seems like something that we're possibly just more aware of right now. and, you know, I wouldn't be the first one to blame it on uh, devices, the handheld phones and iPads and just yeah. constant uh, stimulation. But And I want to be aware of not be too technophobic, but I think there are certainly bad habits you can get into with uh, having the phone in bed and... Uh, and just reading, reading yourself into a stupor, looking at things that uh, make you uh, anxious, or reading work emails, or uh, you know, reading about uh, international conflict, or something that's just going to keep you up at night. Yeah. Um, in addition to the effects of having uh, light being shined directly into your retinas in the hours when your body is meant to be exposed to to darkness, we evolved to have this sun going down and the, the world starts to get darker, whereas but, but, but many of us continue to keep shining bright lights into our eyes until the moment that we are ready to go to sleep. So, <laughs> so that definitely alters things. We are so interesting, right? Like yesterday, we we did everything we could to avoid looking directly at the eclipse so as not to ruin our eyes. But we all look directly at blue light until the wee hours of the morning and then wonder why we can't sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think there's definitely some some etiquette there. I, I like to try to, for an hour before bed, make you know just shut the phone down. And I think that does there, – there's two effects. There's the, the blue light that you're avoiding, um, but there's also just giving yourself some time not to perseverate on – on the news or on, on social media or on work emails or on whatever it is you, you might be compelled to, to check and, and before bed and just to relax, maybe make a phone call, connect with friends and family, uh, do some things that you haven't been, you might otherwise not do. Yeah. In fact, now they've even made it a little easier on some phones with that night shift button you can hit that, like, I guess it races or turns off the blue light. So it's kind of more of a sepia tone. Um, talk to us again. We're speaking with Dr. James Hamblin, who's the author of "If Our Bodies Could Talk: A Guide to Operating and Maintaining a Human Body." Uh, James, talk to us about um, the mel- what what's going on with melatonin, because um, with all the blue light going on, we're not triggering a part of our brain right to to kick in the melatonin that then sends us nine nine. Yeah, 
Yeah, that seems to be the the main mechanism behind why phones or light generally might be changing our sleep cycles. So when it starts to get dark at night, we are our bodies start to produce this hormone called melatonin, and that tells us to go to sleep. And uh, it drops our blood sugar, and uh, we there are even subtle changes in body temperature, and you start to feel tired, and you go to sleep. And then, uh, you know, early in the morning, that melatonin starts to go away, and uh, you raise your blood sugar, and you wake back up, and that is these. Our, our bodies have these internal clocks that know to do that on a 24-hour cycle. And it's actually fascinating uh, that we we have these, these clocks inside of us. And and it seems like the main way that we can mess that up is by exposure to light. So w- when it doesn't get dark, your body doesn't release as much melatonin or releases it at the wrong times. And even if you do fall asleep, if you don't have that, proper surge in melatonin at nighttime, you see more disrupted sleep, lower quality sleep. You're not getting into those deep cycles. And then you might be too high in melatonin in the morning, so you feel groggy and not properly awake hmm. and, and everything is off. Wow. it's and, th- and an interesting point you also talk about is that you can now go to the store and just pick up a bottle of melatonin. And and I guess take those in order to help you get to sleep. Is that is that something we should be doing? Is that should we should we be medicating with melatonin? Um, I am wary of it. I, I think there is a place for it when you have people who are who need to do shift work. You know, who like doctors who have yeah. to work at night, uh, policemen. Uh, you know, when it's unavoidable, and so then. If you come home at the end of that night shift and all of a sudden you're wide awake and you know you need to do another night shift, maybe it'd be good to try to artificially modulate these cycles. Um, but if there's any way around that, I, I, you know, I'm pretty cautious with that stuff. It, it, it gives it a false sense of safety that you can just go and buy it in unlimited quantities at the pharmacy. Yeah. Uh, I was in Australia recently, and they were talking to a doctor, and he was shocked that you could do that in the United States. Um, <laughs> because it, it is a, a hormone that, that regulates this very intricate balance in our bodies. So um, as to whether it should be more tightly regulated, well, that's, that's a very good uh, question of ethics, and, and it's into politics, too. Yeah, we, were, um, we went boating at a, a nice, a huge lake here in uh, Utah and Arizona called Lake Powell, and we were hanging out with our friends, and we were all going to bed, and uh, somebody says, hey, who wants some melatonin? And then they start handing out melatonin, and I'm like, what? What do you want? You're all taking melatonin to go to sleep. What are you like ninety? And you can't somehow go to. You need a chemical fix to go to sleep. But they were handing them out, and I'm thinking, Are you serious? This is a this is a this is a hormone, right? This is a this is a big deal. Don't mess with hormones. It's a potentially serious thing. I, I wouldn't do it without consulting an, an expert on it. And then if you can sleep without it, I I wouldn't rush to use it. That said, if you're using it and it's working for you and and it really and you really have trouble falling asleep without it, I think that you know, our natural balances are already 
so shifted by the technology and the artificial lights and the, the odd work hours and the levels of anxiety in modern life that, uh, you know, maybe something like this could be necessary and helpful. Yeah, maybe, um, maybe, yeah, especially if yeah. you already know it's working. And But it wouldn't hurt either, I guess, to talk to your doctor about it. We're speaking with Dr. James Hamblin, the author of If Our Bodies Could Talk, A Guide to Operating and Maintaining a Human Body. He's also a senior editor at The Atlantic. And we're discussing how to sleep. Uh, if you haven't read it, The Atlantic's got a great article on it um, in detail uh, written by Dr. James Hamblin. We'll continue the journey, include, including talking about caffeine, the impact that stimulants have on our sleep, and um, also about naps. Is that a good way to catch up? All that straight ahead. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Go to sleep, you little baby. Go to sleep, you little baby. Your mama gone away and your daddy gonna stay. Didn't leave nobody but the baby. We're talking sleep. Go to sleep, little babe. Nine, nine. Dr. James Hamblin joins us. He is the author of If Our Bodies Could Talk, A Guide to Operating and Maintaining a Human Body. Dr. James Hamblin is also a writer and a senior editor at The Atlantic, a medical doctor that's chosen uh, to go, I guess, to, to become more of a writer and editor, James, than being a doctor. Was it the lack of sleep that just pushed you out of the medical profession? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I hope that by writing about um, medical issues that I'm still in some ways doing you are. Yeah. Of a of a doctor. Well, especially with this book, because how, I mean, we really don't know much about how our bodies work, right? And if you're talking to the guy that in the last three months or so, I've blown my gallbladder out, had a backed up pancreas for a a day, and also um, had a a head cold for three weeks. So if our bodies could talk, mine would be really ticked off right now. (laughs) I'm sorry to hear it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I based the book around... uh, questions that come to me from from friends and family and, and from readers so I, I wanted to write something that would that would address kind of everyday uh, questions and concerns yeah. that people have so that's what this is well and I love too because um, you know the smartest people I know on earth are doctors and PhDs and yet sometimes they're the worst communicators around so to have you <laughs> so to have you like help us communicate these these lessons, these learnings, the messages, I think it's it's really important. Um, as far as sleep is concerned, a lot of people think, well, yeah, so I don't get enough sleep, but if I just have enough coffee or enough caffeine, maybe a, a, one of those power drinks, um, boy, that's all I need. <laughs> yeah, right. And that's obviously an enormous industry. You have something like 90% of U.S. adults uh, who are consuming caffeinated beverages most days. Wow. So you, uh, yeah. And, and I think a healthy way to look at that is that caffeine cannot generate energy in your body. It doesn't add energy to the pool of energy that you have available to you for the course of the day. What it can do is shift it, sort of pull some of it forward. If there's a time when you really need to be awake and alert, you can use you know, drink some coffee, um, uh, and, and it'll make you that way temporarily, but you're going to 
you know, crash and be tired later. Hmm. So don't look at this as the only way to actually build that pool of available energy and cognitive function for the day is to get a proper night's sleep and to uh, eat well and to be active. And these things can actually make your metabolism uh, work in a way that is maximally focused and maximally energetic. But caffeine is just a tool to <laughs> sort of pool that when, when, when you need to. So that, that is actually, that's a great way to look at it because in the end, I mean, I guess you could like hyper caffeinate in the morning and then, but all you're doing is shifting a major energy load to that hour or two, and then you're going to be empty unless you exercise, right. eat right, and get some sleep. Right, right. And and so that's sort of, for me, uh, yeah, you know, we were talking before, like, a, about doctors working these overnight shifts, and if you're in the last leg of some grueling, uh, long work shift, and you need coffee to f- fully pull that energy toward you so you can get through, then that is potentially a useful tool, but note that it's not giving you anything in the overall picture. It's funny too. Uh, my, I have all my brother-in-laws are both my brother-in-laws are medical doctors. My father-in-law is a medical doctor. And it like, so when I want to caffeinate, I just have like a diet Coke. Um, but when they have it, they actually like have five milligrams of diet Coke. And um, he, he's always thinking about it like a dose, a caffeine dose. He's dosing himself with caffeine and he knows the dose and whatever the dose is or the dosage is. So, yeah. it, but it's almost like it's I guess that's the key. Um, some of us like a doctor understands how much melatonin we might want to dose or how much caffeine you might want to dose. The problem with the rest of us is we do it by ounces, 32 ounces, 44 ounces, um, are we getting too much caffeine and how much caffeine really is just is is unhealthy? <laughs> that is a great question. Um, because caffeine is so ubiquitous, we and, and is not at all regarded like a drug in our society. Uh it, it becomes really difficult for people to even know their caffeine levels. Uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of products will list the amount of caffeine or make it available on their website if you wanted to look, but it is not the sort of thing that's adver- advertised or has to be reported on the front of a bottle. Um, so, and, and different forms at different times are going to affect different people in different ways, as we've we've said before. But uh, there was recently a study that looked at long-term uh, health outcomes in coffee consumption, and just what could be thought of as uh, safe. And they drew a line at four cups of coffee a day. But they were talking about your, your traditional cup of coffee, yeah. uh, you know, not, not the enormous uh, Starbucks cup. So probably uh, that would be a one, one and a half of those big Starbucks cups or four of your old kind of diner coffee cups. Those, when you look long-term at people and how much coffee they drink and how, you know, that relates to long-term health outcomes, that doesn't seem to be harmful. And then past that level, people can start dealing with 
um, insomnia, high blood pressure, anxiety, uh, anything you might think of when it comes to overuse of a stimulant. Mm. This is, I think, another reason, again, we're speaking with Dr. James Hamblin, who is the author of If Our Bodies Could Talk, A Guide to Operating and Maintaining a Human Body. Um, This is, I think, why it's important to have a medical doctor like you helping us see through some of this, because there's a lot of myths, uh, folklore, I guess, um, misinterpretation of academic studies around caffeine, where we believe, I mean, you've heard stories all over the place where it it actually can make you live longer. Um, You know, you could grow a a limb that's been, you know, taken off. I mean, (laughs) caffeine helps you in so many ways. So what is the straight scoop on caffeine? Is it it does it make you live longer what it, it it's a stimulant basically yeah. so what where you, you does it do end hear those, you do hear those news reports right a new study says people who drink a cup of coffee every day tend to have lower rates of uh, the pancreatic disease yeah. something like that and uh those make great stories people love to hear that story because you know like we said 90% of people are drinking some kind of caffeine so this court sort of bias that makes you uh makes these stories widely popular and then the story where it says uh, you know there are also studies that say that people who drink too much or possibly any might have an increased risk of uh some other uh downside and that gets a lot less attention so when you look at it all together um the aggregate evidence is that there's really not a reason to feel like you need to be drinking caffeine if you don't enjoy it. You're not doing it already. And and like we said before, there is it, it is known that you can get too much. Um, so in the middle, you're probably breaking even. There isn't a clear relationship between uh, a- a- caffeine and and longevity or chronic disease. But uh, it's one of those things that I, I think you need to know yourself and know what you enjoy and um, how things are affecting your sleep patterns. And I, I, But I wouldn't feel like you need to pick it up or, or quit it, hmm. uh, if it as a matter of health. Yeah, we had another guest on once that talked about that, you know, it's probably good to not have much caffeine after three o'clock in the afternoon just because of how long it stays in your system. Yeah, I, I think that's generally a good rule, but also people get used to metabolizing it and um, are able to fall asleep even yeah. when they drink a cup of coffee after dinner. Then you're just so a caffeine machine. That's, yeah, that's a big caffeine I filter. I categorically rule that out, but I, I'd say generally that's a good, that's a good idea. And and I think sometimes the people who are able to have that have a cup of coffee after dinner and pass right out are probably doing so because they're sleep deprived and and their sleep may be suffering in subtle ways that they that they don't appreciate just in terms of the caffeine altering um, the depth of their sleep cycle. Yeah. By the way, um, your website jameshamblin.com, dot uh, com starts off with a picture of you and President Barack Obama just hanging out. Oh yeah, well, we, I was during an interview. I was yeah. there at the White House for a Precision Medicine Initiative Summit, um, not just hanging out. Yeah, but, but yeah. you were hanging out. You had, you were just sitting there. <laughs> it looked really good. Hey, we've got a couple minutes left. What would you? What advice do you give? Um, like, what's the one thing when it comes to sleep? When it comes to 
um, being able to actually just relax our bodies, which we need so desperately. What 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 advice would you give us um, that is just the one thing that would go a very long way for most of us? Um, I, I think that treating, in the same way that we're talking about thinking of caffeine more as a bioactive drug that is affecting you in, in, in serious ways and not just something that happens to be in, in our food system, um, that you might think of uh, relationships in a similarly more deliberate way. I think of uh, that, that if you can have, take time to connect with people you've been out of touch with, uh, you know, reaching out to new people you'd like to get to know better, constantly expanding and, and growing uh, social relationships and connection. That's the kind of stuff that's going to kind of put you at ease and uh, make sure, make you feel uh, like you can go to sleep at night mm. well and uh, you, you're, you're not kind of just perseverating and staring at your phone and being increasingly isolated and amped up on stimulants, but um, that you take some time to, to do stuff like that. And that, that is so clearly associated with good health outcomes. And yet it's something that we, we don't think of as uh, uh, something that needs to be uh, approached kind of uh, strategically. Yeah. So no, that's a great, yeah. that's great. Especially, yeah, we don't, and we don't tie it even to sleep, but I have so many clients that are, you know, in bed next to each other, but they feel like they're a million miles away. And then your heads are spinning because you're not connected. You're not relating. Um, and yeah, you might have regrets and other thoughts, uh, that are that make it so so hard to uh, to recover. Well, James, we appreciate you. JamesHamblin.com is the website. Uh, again, the name of James's book that uh, you're going to want to go check out is uh, "If Our Bodies Could Talk: A Guide to Operating and Maintaining a Human Body." James Hamblin can also be found on TheAtlantic.com, where he's a senior editor there as well. Interesting stuff, folks. Boy, it is a complicated life, isn't it? And you've only got one body, so we need to take care of it. We need to do whatever we can. Um, and really, allow it allows us to fulfill our mission to magnify our purpose here on this great earth. We'll continue the journey uh, as we as we uh, slowly work our way through these, uh, these topics. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back. You know, how interesting, um, as Dr. Hamblin was talking about, one of the things he'd recommend to get better sleep is healthier, connected relationships. We've uh, we found other research recently that shows uh, loneliness is, is the equivalent of smoking packs of cigarettes a day. If you actually feel lonely, it, it's as bad for your health, that feeling of loneliness. And by the way, it doesn't even mean you have to actually be lonely. Feeling lonely is the equivalent of smoking uh, multiple packs of cigarettes a day. So people matter. And it's funny, uh, more and more feedback I get on my website at matttownsend.com and other places, um, people are lonely. Even though they've got everyone around them, they're disconnected. They feel they feel like they don't add up. They're, they're just not enough. And I'm betting, as Dr. Hamblin is, that uh, that is causing us 
a lot of uh, sleep problems as well because our minds don't turn off, but uh, our issues continue. And then we can't process them. We don't get the energy and it's a cycle that eventually falls in on itself. So take care of those that you love. Uh, maybe apologize where you need to and maybe apologize faster, right? That would definitely help you get some better Z's. We'll continue the journey. Stick with us next hour. More fun, more ideas about uh, how to connect. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Happy Tuesday to you as you rub the eclipse burn out of your eyes. It's interesting. Everybody I talked to, they loved it. A great experience. Uh, a lot of vamp- my, in fact, my wife said, "Did you take a picture of yourself looking at the eclipse?" And I'm like, "No." She's like, "Why?" Well, I was looking at the eclipse. Exactly. I wasn't thinking of taking pictures. Sports Nation did. did Someone they? took a picture of them. Yeah. Looking at the eclipse. Yeah. Man, why didn't I come out to that door? I, I went out that door, but nobody was out there. So I'm like, "Oh, I bet you Terry went up on the roof where all the cool people are." So I walked up to the third floor hoping that I could hang out with all the executives. I was editing the podcast. I was busy. Yeah, you were busy apparently. So I went up there and we were just hanging out. Hmm. But I mean it was fun. A lot of people came out. But right. I missed all of the radio people. Right. I should have caught on. Because we just – you know that, that back door, there's a wall right there. And we just <laughs> sat up on the wall and – Right there, you know. I always I saw these pictures of people climbing mountains and doing all this yeah. stuff. It's like you can see the sun from the ground. You don't need to get to a higher elevation. My family went to the tennis court. They were they did the whole thing on tennis court. So they'd play tennis in and the backyard then, past the horse property. Yeah. Okay. Just yeah. You know, I was given the Around opportunity. The <laughs> I was home by the time it was maybe eleven forty-five or so, and this sweet little neighbor boy came knocking on my door, and he said. We're out here looking at the eclipse. Do you want to look at the eclipse with our glasses? Oh, what a nice boy. And then you said, no. What do you think? You just I said, get out of my face. <laughs> you just crushed the child that you didn't know? I actually said, no, I, I'm good. I saw it on oh. TV. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> Thank you, though. You are. You're such a curmudgeon. Are you the Me? guy? Are you the guy that tells everyone to stay off your lawn and get off my lawn? No, because it's dead. So it doesn't really matter. I, I got so mad one day because someone was out there. And yeah. For, I don't know why I was mad. It's just yeah. the front lawn. Who cares, right? So I opened the door and I go to say, I'm like, I'm that guy. And I you, shut the door and like, <laughs> I went back in the house and hid. I was like, what am I doing? We have a dog. We don't have a dog. But we have a dog in our neighborhood that uses our lawn as its preferred choice for hygiene. Really? I don't know what you call it. But you grow great vegetables, though. <laughs> it's maddening. Their dog will run across the street, down the street, mm. to our yard, do its duty, and then go back. Same place every time. So the question is, how do you, how do you tell them? Because we don't want to pick up their dog's doo-doo. So we're trying to figure out as a family how we let them in on the secret about their dog. 
What I might do, tell me if this is extreme. Okay. I might grab the dog's collar, Mm -hmm. then put their doo-doo in a bag, Mm -hmm. then duct tape it around the dog's neck and send him home. Is that that too passive aggressive? um, Maybe try that if you've – after you've spoken with the dog Uh, owners and it hasn't worked still. And they'll be very they'll they'll be very cooperative. They just uh, maybe they just don't know. We came out to our car one time to notice that a bird had done its duties on the windshield of our car, but <laughs> no other part of our car and about 20 different spots on the windshield. It was very calculated, very really? concentrated. And uh yeah, we're the only ones with that problem. Were you parked under a tree? That's not the point. It was so accurate. Well, that's the, you know, they're playing tic-tac-toe, right? Oh, yeah. Birds are incredible at playing tic-tac-toe. Uh, today we're going to be talking about um, friends. Are you too busy to have friends? Because if you're too busy to have friends, then you're, you will want to listen to this next uh, show because you need some help. Also, if you have a personality that makes it so nobody wants to be your friend, you might want to listen to. Both of those people that listen to our show with those personalities. Uh, because friends, they matter. They're important to your health. And we got a great, uh, a great expert on the subject that's going to walk us through friendship. And, and it's hard because maybe as a guy, you don't think you need friends. You know, your family's your friend. Life is good. But we'll get into that. It also would help you with your networking. It might help you professionally as well. We'll do that. We'll also talk to one of our good friends on the show, Mo Pluto. He's a dwarf planet. Uh, many of you know him as the little purple uh, planet at the very, I guess, end of our solar system, I guess. Hmm. Are you ready for this? Because he's probably going to tear you a new one. He's mad. He's mad at me because he had some big event, but his event on a dwarf planet level doesn't dwarf our event on with our eclipse. So we were all into hmm. the eclipse. We never mentioned his his big, whatever we call it, mysterious planetary mass fight that he was going to have. Well, instead we focused on the eclipse, which yeah. the, a total solar eclipse over the mainland, as you pointed out, hasn't happened in like about 100, 100 years. years. But when have you ever seen two planets duking it out? Well, you know what? I haven't. But Unless you're in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, they do that. Two. By the way, just yeah. watched that. And? Loved it. Really? Loved it. Actually, I didn't finish it yet. <laughs> that did so remind if, me. Because, what if you end so up hating it? What part did you love? I loved it. was to the point where they were starting to battle with uh, Mister e- the Planet Ego. That's the end of the movie. I know. I right there, and then I had to. I went. I had a speech at the prison. I went and spoke to my peeps mm. in the Utah Correctional mm. Facility. Did you get a little scared? No, I love it. It's the honestly. No, I'm, no, about the end of the movie. Oh yeah, the end of the movie yeah. terrified me. Not prison. Yeah, <laughs> prison. Yeah, not a big deal. <laughs> but I, my favorite place to speak, uh, other than with you two, mm. is with a hundred prisoners. Hmm. Just letting you know. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. I just feel so close to you all. So we'll get to that. Talking friends. Talking prisoners. Talking Mo Pluto. And we'll, we'll see. He'll be mad. He'll be mad. But you know, I'm not here for Mo. I'm here for our listeners, and a lot of our listeners, ever since Mo was demoted to dwarf planet status, he's off their radar now. Anyway, we'll see how he feels about that. 
We'll get to all that excitement. But uh, first to Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? In a televised address, President Trump on Monday shared his strategy for Afghanistan and South Asia, saying the United States military is not a nation or is not nation building again. We are killing terrorists. Speaking in front of an audience of soldiers at Fort Myer, Virginia, Trump said that the American people are weary of war without victory. And he shares their frustration when it comes to Afghanistan. While his original instinct was to pull all troops out, uh, he listened to his advisors and came up with a new strategy of adding soldiers, but never revealing the number of troops on the ground uh, in the country or announcing upcoming military actions. You're not going to let him in on the secret. That's what he says. A lot of people were mad that they kept setting these deadlines on this date. Everyone's pulling out. And he's saying, we won't do that. Who's going to hold us in suspense? Yeah. That's what he likes to do. It's a marketing technique. So he's moving forward with a new direction. Yeah. Not sure what 4,000 troops, because uh, Obama put like 160,000 troops in there. So I don't know what 4,000 troops would But I think but... these are special forces training special forces. It's like a it's like a it's like a multi level marketing thing. Yeah, you okay. get four thousand special operators in the country. Right. They train four thousand. So it's a downstream and so situation. So on and so on, okay. and then three levels deep, you get paid out. Nice, and then everyone gets like a swag bag full of frisbees and pencils and exactly. stuff. Exactly. All right, good. A suspected gunman is dead, and a judge is in stable condition after he was gunned down in an ambush style attack outside an Ohio courthouse Monday morning. Crazy. Judge Joseph uh, J. Brzee Jr. was shot and injured outside the Jefferson County Court. Courthouse in eastern Ohio shortly after 8 a.m. Monday after the suspect ran up to him and started firing. A Steubenville city manager uh, says a probation officer returned fire, injuring the sheriff, said the judge also pulled out his own gun, firing several rounds. Oh, boy. The judge underwent surgery, is expected to survive, officials said on Monday. The motive for the shooting is unknown. The uh, probation officer probably saved the judge's life. How cool is that? Because it gave him time to react and then to turn fire, and the guy wasn't able to actually kill him. So. See, doesn't this remind? This is like a, in the old west. Just this is like this is why all the people that carry guns say, "Yeah, if, if you have guns, you'll stop guys that have guns." Yeah, the good guy. So with you the need, gun but the concept, parole officer yeah. saves a lot. Oh, boy. Crazy. Yeah, we'll see. Remains of some of the 10 Navy sailors who went missing after the USS John McCain crashed near Singapore on Sunday have been found in a compartment on the warship, according to the, to the commander of the U.S. Pacific Fleet. On Monday, Navy Chief John Richardson took the rare step of ordering an operational pause in all naval, naval operations until they figure out why they keep crashing into other ships that are really big. And but they don't tell North Korea. We have already did. Okay. And they See, can't. They can't really do anything about it. President Trump won't like that, though. No, but you know, what are you gonna do? What's he gonna do? Fire the Navy? Mm, don't give him any ideas. <laughs> and finally, an ATF agent wanted to travel north to view Monday's total solar eclipse. So last week, a prosecutor asked a judge to postpone a federal far, uh, firearms trial in Florida in which the agent was uh, supposed to testify in a three-page missive, which is uh, as artful and erudite as is legally procedural. The U.S. District Judge Stephen J. Maryday denied the request. Maryday's order makes reference to, among other topics, Greek history, the English romantic poet William, William Wordsworth, and the popular 1972 Carly Simon song, You're So Vain, to ultimately say that the trial must proceed as scheduled. When an indispensable participant, knowing that the trial is imminent, prepays for some personal indulgence, that participant, in effect, lays a bet, the judge wrote. This time, unlike Carly Simon's former suitor, whose horse naturally won, this better's horse had naturally lost. 
Ah. Meriday noted that such a celestial event understandably occupies a provocative and luminous place in history and art. Among other citations, the judge quoted the lyrics of Simon's hit song, which speaks of a trip to see a solar eclipse. It says, uh, then you flew your Learjet up to Nova Scotia to see the total eclipse of the sun, which is the wow, yeah. reference in that song. Nevertheless, Mary, they concluded that one agent's desire to see an eclipse did not merit postponing the federal firearms trial. Ugh, darn it. So the sarcastic yet witty judge. Yeah. And thank heavens for that. You know what I mean? How much time did he waste writing all that up and just to, you know saying no? Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he could have, you know, really had, I don't know, more time to do other judge things like ironing robes and things of that nature. Do, do Is that they, what they do? I don't know. Do you think they iron their own robes? Maybe. I, I think, I bet they send them out. Do they have a guy? Yeah, they, yeah, they have a guy. They have a robe ironer. There's got to be, there's got to be something else, right? Because you can't just, um, I don't know, you're a judge. You got to, you got to go work your gavel. You got to grease the gavel. Uh, I mean, you want to keep a nice uh, coat of stain and lacquer on your gavel. Anyway, okay. I I've been trying to avoid this interview for a very very long time, um, but I, I can't. So, as you know, on the show, we're we're pretty close with Mo Pluto, Mo, Maurice Pluto, who is uh, he's a dwarf planet. Um, he's he's one of the smallest planets. He's out kind of in the middle of nowhere, and he's he used to be a planet, but has now been relegated to dwarf planet status. And we have him on the show every once in a while because of the great benefits of technology. Today, as you know, yesterday uh, we enjoyed the the first total solar eclipse that you could be seen on mainland U.S. Uh, for the last hundred years. But uh, what you may not have known is, in fact, we didn't even know. Um, you know, something else was going on out there. Yesterday was also Mo Pluto's big fight against the mysterious planetary mass, they're calling it, the mysterious planetary mass. And we've got Pluto on the line right now to tell us how things went. Mo Pluto, how are you doing? I'm just fine, Matt. No thanks to you. What What do you mean by that, Mo? Oh, come on. You've been airing promos for my big fight now for weeks. And yet yesterday on the big day, there was not one word mentioned about it. Not one, man. Look, Mo, I don't know if you know what's going on here, but we were trying to focus on the big news stories like the total solar eclipse here in the United States. Did you know anything about that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I know all about the total eclipse. And let me tell you, Bonnie Tyler's song is way better than that stinking moon's ring around the sun. Now, now what what have you got against our moon? Oh, what? nothing, nothing, that, not, nothing other than the fact that the moon is a re-gifter. A re-gifter? Yeah, yeah. You know the annulus? Annulus? What's that? You know, it's it's the ring you may have seen during the eclipse, you know, surrounding the dark distance yeah, of the moon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, I, I gave the moon that ring years ago. She said no to my proposal, but she kept the ring, and then she gives it away to the sun. <laughs> no way. So you've been turned down by Saturn and the moon. That's You've been dumped twice? 
You know something, Matt? You got a pretty big mouth this morning. Maybe you'd like me to come over there and shut it for you. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Mo, 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 calm down here, my little friend, my tiny, itty-bitty, dwarfy, tiny planet little friend. Um, I'm not much of a fighter, you know? I'm more of a lover, and uh, you're not much of a fighter either, are you? Hey, why don't you come up here and try saying that to my face? No, you know what? I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Uh, you know, I've got this show to do. By the way, speaking of your face, I, I just read that scientists have captured some photos of you. And it looks like you have four different faces, which is interesting because I feel like on the show you've only shown the surly one. Ah, uh, those hacks from the IAU can't take a good picture to save their lives. Hey, how many photos of, that you've taken are you happy with, Matt? That's a good point. I hate pictures. Okay, anyway. Uh, so, uh, Pluto, I, I guess we should discuss the real reason you came on my show. How did your big fight go yesterday with the mysterious planetary mass out there? Well, let's just say it wasn't even a close fight. You know what I mean? Uh, I think I know exactly what you mean. So, uh, you lost? Uh, Matt, Matt, just remember this. It was mass hysteria. People were going nuts. There was like a 15-minute standing ovation. So so you won. You won. Did you win? Well, I, I guess you're going to have to look it up on YouTube and see for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I'll probably do that. I mean, he lost. He totally lost. Because if he didn't lose, he'd be all over this, right? He'd be, he'd be excited to... Well... You know what? He's not a bad... He's not a bad thing. Not, uh, not a bad planet. Not a bad dwarf planet. I kind of feel bad for him, though, because you know it won't be on YouTube. There's no way that will make it to YouTube because who, who would be filming it? He's, he still doesn't even understand what YouTube is, how it works. Anyway, well, okay. That's why I'm glad I watched the eclipse. Didn't miss much there. Uh, not, to, not to disparage... Uh, Mo Pluto. We'll continue the journey, folks. Up next, we're going to be talking about being too busy for your friends. It won't help your career. So instead, let's put friends first. Straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Does it seem like it's harder to maintain friendships today more than ever before with your busy schedules, your demanding careers? In fact, the average number of intimate friends a person has is just two, which is lower than it was in 1985 that had an average of three intimate friends. Friendship, uh, friendships are changing in this modern age of technology and with people now have so, larger social networks, yet weaker intimate ties. However, it's still just as important to prioritize stronger friendships because having these friendships help you perform better at work and, uh, and are able, able are, and are, it helps you um, even earn more uh, at, while you're at work. So friends help you earn more, have better jobs. Here to talk about it is uh, Dr. Neil uh, Rose. He is a professor of psychology and marketing at Northwestern University, and he's here to discuss some of his interesting insights. Neil, thank you so much for being with us today. 
Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's that's an amazing idea that so since 85 we've gone from having three intimate friends down to two intimate friends and yet our you know our social media has gone off the charts. So <laughs> what's going on? We have a ton of uh, people that like us apparently, air quotes, but we don't have the intimate closeness we used to. It's true and it's really interesting to see how things have changed so dramatically. Just 15, 20 years ago, we didn't have such a wide degree of social media. We didn't have so many, what we call now friends, but they are not really in front of us. We don't see them on a daily basis there. We think of them as friends, but then we don't really have the kind of close connections that really provide the psychological benefits of a friendship. And so it's it's actually quite paradoxical. We might think that we have more friends than ever before, But the ability to share deep secrets or to confess fears, the things that keep you awake in the middle of the night, that's more and more of a precious thing. And we need to work hard to preserve that kind of close intimacy. So we've moved from three intimate friends to two intimate friends. On average, I guess we have about five close friends or so. Does this does this vary by gender? Does it does it vary in any way by gender? Do you know much on that? Yes, yes, I do. So it's, it's actually fairly similar for both men and women. Um, but what differs is the degree of intimacy, the closeness, the ability to share secrets. Women are just better at sharing personal life details than are men. And that that's a challenge for men that they need to work through to think about how better can I share or reveal um, important aspects of my inner life to other people. But on average, men and women have roughly the same number of friends. One thing that is also a difference is that men tend to find themselves organized into larger groups. So, for example, teams or fantasy sports groups or, you know, maybe three to four to five people, whereas women are better at and have closer one-on-one connection. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense too, right? And I've noticed a lot of my friends tend to come from what I'm doing. And so if I so I have work friends, I kind of have church friends, any anything I'm I'm involved in is te- is where I tend to get my friends versus uh you know, just people that have are independent friends that transect or, or that are independent of all of these other activities I'm involved in. Yes, yes, and that's that's certainly something we see with a lot of busy, career-focused young people today. Um, there are certain jobs that really demand a lot of focus, time, and energy, and people find themselves putting a lot of time into their work, and that means that their social lives are getting restricted to those people that have the same kind of career thoughts or career ambitions. But a well-rounded individual needs friends from different parts of, of uh, their life, different parts of our economy. Mm. And so I was just thinking recently about who I think is the closest friend in my life, and it's it's pretty much my oldest friends. I'm, I'm blessed to have two friends from my childhood that I'm still in touch with, and it, it shocked me to realize that that's 40 years now that we've had a friendship. That's pretty incredible. And those are people that don't have anything to do with my work. And so that means that we can talk about all different kinds of things. Yeah. And you know what else? Having an old friend means that they, they've known you for such a long time. They've seen your ups and downs. They recognize what's the real you, the inner you, the part of you that's not just 
about work, but the part of you that's about passion, spiritual concerns, um, love of family, but also your side interests, your political interests, your hobbies, all these kinds of things are part of a well-rounded life and a well-rounded individual. And it's great if we can have friends that connect to these different facets of our life. Absolutely. And I mean, so it almost just sounds like psychologically, there's almost just the inherent benefit. What other benefits are there and are they finding about uh, our health benefits um, that are tied to having stronger relationships? It's really quite remarkable how much scientific evidence there is for the power of friendships to bring physical benefits. I'll tell you about one study that I still find remarkable. It's from 15 years ago. But what they did was they got a group of people together, about 300 or so volunteers. They were they're actually paid some money to do this, and you'll see why in a moment. They were um, tracked in terms of the closeness of their interpersonal connections, how many friends they had, how often they got together with friends. And then at a critical moment, they were exposed to a virus that brings the common cold, hmm. and they were quarantined for five days. Okay, so imagine this. They're, they're, they're exposed to this cold virus, and then they're locked away, and, and their health is closely monitored. And the key question is, how likely are they to develop cold symptoms? And also, what are the objective medical um, indicators, for example, taking blood tests that could tell like how, how sick they've become as a result of being exposed to the virus. And what they found is a fairly tight relationship between the closeness of people's connections with others, the number and closeness of their friends, was related very directly to how likely they were to get sick. Really? More friends, they're less likely to get sick. It's almost as though friends provide a buffer for our health. Really? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's remarkable. And other studies have connected this even to mortality. People with more friends are going to live longer. That's just remarkable to me. Well, it seems like the more friends you have, the more friends you'd infect with the virus and then the fewer friends you'd have. <laughs> right? Yes. It seems like yes, that's absolutely. how it would go. But isn't yeah, that interesting? Yes. Well, they tried to Yeah, they tried to control for that, of course. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Is it, I mean, so part of this is, I mean, we do hear, and BYU has been doing some studies about loneliness and how loneliness um, and just feeling lonely, even if you're not, even if you have people around you, but that feeling of loneliness is um, also, it's like smoking, I think, a pack or a pack and a half of cigarettes a, a day. Um, is the negative impact it has on your life is so and yet we we live in this time this day and age where we we might spend so much time on our social media but not as much time as we need to be spending on our intimate close relationships that's exactly right and and our modern world has so many ways in which we're pushed away from our close friendships there are so many distractions so many ways to entertain ourselves whereas a hundred years ago on a cold winter's night, living on a farm, what would you do with yourself? There's no TV, there's no radio. You'd read a book or you'd spend time with your family and you'd have a conversation. You might trudge over to a friend's house and share an evening with them. So what this means for us today is that it requires effort. It requires planning. We need to set concrete events into our calendars so that we preserve the connections with our friends. I'll give an example from my own life. My wife and I had scheduled uh, a movie night, and the, the, the event was scheduled around one particular person who hadn't seen this film but wanted to see it. And at the last moment, she backed out, 
for what seemed to us to be a very flimsy reason. And I've noticed this a lot with my wife's younger friends, that they're more likely than people of my generation to back out of social events, as though they don't really find much value in them or don't really see them as important as they really are. And so my message to listeners is to reprioritize your social events, just getting together to have a, a pleasant evening of playing a board game with some friends is so important on many levels for all of us. It's so true. Well, again, we're speaking with Dr. Neil Rose, uh, and Neil is a professor of psychology and marketing at Northwestern University, and he's also the John L. and Helen Kellogg Professor of Marketing at the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. Um, when you when you think about it, Neil, you also. Um, tie it into other professional benefits. Um, talk about what are the professional benefits for having friends at work and and how does it impact you uh, and even your bottom line? Yes. Well, having having friends at work provides the immediate benefit of making the workspace a more pleasant environment. And so just having people that you can chat with, we have an old phrase, the water cooler discussion, that's, that's something that brings great, a great deal of joy into people's daily routine. And the trend in our popular culture of telecommuting or working out of our home robs us of that very important daily social opportunity to interact. Now, there are other aspects, however, that friends contribute to our work. One is giving perspective. And so if we have friends that don't work in the same office or the same career as us, they can give us a vantage point or a point of view that's, that's quite different. And that allows us to rethink our decisions, rethink our approach to our work, and it actually makes us better. Another aspect is certainly the stresses of work can sometimes be difficult. Sometimes you have interpersonal conflicts. Sometimes you just don't have a clear sense of getting ahead in your job. You might be frustrated because your job is boring. Friends buffer against the negative parts of your job. They just make you feel better. Hmm. And as you have somebody who's around to talk with about the stresses of work, it makes the stress basically a lot less. So just having somebody that you can share your stories with makes your work life a bit better. So in the end, and at the end of the day, what happens is with friends that you can talk to about your work, you become more focused. You make better decisions. And this results in long-term tangible benefits, including um, greater salary, greater career advancement. So this is something that people have noticed in large-scale surveys, just tracking lots of people in different careers, different walks of life, and tracking them over time, just measuring the number of friends, the quality of their social interaction, and then comparing that later with earning outcomes. It's remarkable. It really is, and it sounds like a really smart... Um, thing to have uh, to be if you're the HR director of a company, don't worry about your people, you know, being too chummy or too friendly. It sounds like I mean, I guess there's a there's an other there's the other side of the other extreme of this. But um, in fact, we saw it yesterday with um, everybody gathering around for the eclipse. There was an incredible camaraderie as everyone would gather outside and, um, and you know, you might initially go out with your friend, but you eventually make new friends. And to, to also know that it actually produces better results, that seems like a good value add. Absolutely. That's a, that's a, a clear message I would send to any, any manager who's thinking about how do you maintain order in an office or in a factory 
And you might worry that too much chumminess is getting in the way of productivity, but it's actually quite the opposite. And uh, I'll share with you, certainly yesterday during the eclipse, I was, I was at work and working in Chicago in the Midwest. It was uh, around lunchtime, and it was just remarkable to see so many people gathering together and sharing the experience together. It was great. There was a couple of people who seemed to prefer working in their cubicles, and I felt a need to go and encourage them to get out. You know, work mm. is not that important. You need to share these experiences with others. Um, experiences like yesterday are made more meaningful when we experience them in the company of others. It's true, yeah, and, and I, I guess too. There's that bonding, and then there's those. There's just those few that, for whatever reason, don't want to be a part of it. I guess as we speak to them, what you're saying is, you know, because if you're an introvert, you may not want to be around people or whatever. For whatever reason, though. There is incredible, incredible health and professional and financial benefits to becoming a part of the group. Yes, it's true. And it's, I'm glad you made a reference to the idea of introverts. So we can think about introverts versus extroverts as a, as a very powerful way of describing differences across people. It's one of the fundamental personality differences. But when we have an introvert, it's not really the case that an introvert does not like people, it's the case that they prefer, actually, a more intimate one-on-one connection as opposed to being part of a larger group or to going to parties and large gatherings where there are lots and lots of others. Mm. I think what we've talked about today is the value of making that close one-on-one connection, being able to share personal life details with another. That's, That's the thing that's of the greatest value. And so the message is both introverts and extroverts have some work to do in order to preserve that. Extroverts might disregard the power of a one-on-one connection because they're always getting together with large groups. Uh, And introverts might be less likely to get out at all, but I think that they will find their comfort zone in terms of that one-on-one connection. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's continue this uh, journey in just a minute. We're speaking with Dr. Neil Rose, and he is a professor of psychology and marketing at Northwestern University, is walking us through um, the importance of friendships. Also, uh, his book, If Only, How to Turn Regret into Opportunity. When we come back, we'll talk about some of the, the negative feelings and regrets we may have about relationships and what we can do to straighten some of those out. More with Dr. Neil Rose right here on The Matt Townsend Show. can we can be friends just relax man joining us uh to talk about the importance of being uh being a friend and 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 not letting life run over your social life uh is dr neil rose he is a professor of psychology and marketing at northwestern university he's also um, a globally recognized theorist and expert in psychology And we're honored to have you on the show. Neil, thank you again for your time and for being with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. This, uh, the idea of friends, um, I guess one of the the problems some of us may be carrying is is some regret, uh, a history maybe of not doing relationships very well, not closing them out, not, you know, you make one mistake and you you, you might carry um, that history of regret. 
What are some things that you that uh, you uh, would recommend if we do feel a little regret because of our past relationships or even present? Yes. Well, the the study of regret is actually how I started to think more more deeply about friendships. And so the research I've been doing centers on what are the p- biggest regrets that people have in life. And so one of the values of doing this sort of research is that if we look especially at, at older adults and they tell us what they regret most, um, it's almost like a recipe for how better young people might live their lives. Hmm. And so, for example, what we find is that regrets centering on relationships in general, but romantic relationships in particular, are, are the biggest regrets that haunt people later in life. And so they think about, how could I have made a, a better connection with my spouse? Or maybe there's somebody who got away, you know, the romance that got away. Maybe you should have pursued it more and more vigorously. But also, it's, it's connections with family. I wish I'd phoned my mother more often. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my sister or my brother. These are the kinds of regrets that, that uh, are more likely to be reported. And, and interestingly, people do report some regrets about career and work, just, just not as much as the, the close personal relationships. And that, again, tells us about the value of relationships to us as we get older. We're not thinking about, oh, I should have invested money more over in this place or spent my money this way or that way. We're thinking about our connections with others. That's and amazing. So the, the work I've done, the work I've done really tells us about how important regret is as a signal to us about the quality of the decisions we've made. And so some of us might think, oh, regret is a useless emotion. I wish I could get rid of it or I'll ignore it. But it's actually a signal to you. And oftentimes that there's something that you did wrong, but you can still perhaps fix it. There's things that you still can do. And so you can listen to your regret and think about how you might change the way you're operating. And with luck, you'll change for the better. It's interesting because so a regret is just your subconscious, your psyche, your spirit, something talking to you, telling you, um, you, you need to you need to make an adjustment here. We're not we're not fostering the relationships or whatever your regret is. We're not we're not taking enough care of that. Yeah, one of the interesting things we've noticed in the basic research is that, by and large, people are pretty good at, at rationalizing. That is, pretty good at making themselves feel better after problems or mishaps or screw-ups of various sorts. But regrets are sometimes rationalized away, but sometimes they last. When they last, it's usually when there's something that you still can do. There's some opportunity to change things. Mm. When you can't change it, you, when you're stuck with it, that's when we tend to rationalize. So think of it in terms of buying a shirt. You went out to a store, you tried it on, you bought it, you took it home. You try and change your mind, maybe you didn't like it as much. But if you can return it for a refund, that means it's still open. You can change things. Then you feel the regret and you say, oh, my God, I don't like this. And you go actually and take it back, get your money back. If you bought it on sale and you can't return it, that's when you tend to rationalize and think, you know what? That shirt is not so bad after all. <laughs> At the end of the day, when you feel a regret, it oftentimes tells you there's something you still can't do. Interesting. So if we can, we rationalize the regret away. If you can't, but you keep having this this uh, kind of this poke at your consciousness, it's it's telling you there's probably something you can do about it and we ought to get busy. Yeah. Absolutely. Get busy. (laughs) 
get busy doing something about it. What um, I, I guess one of the ways to to mitigate uh, having the regret would be to take stronger steps to to create a strong relationship. What are some things you recommend that we do? Today, with our coworkers, with with friends, romantic relationships, to strengthen those those friendships, those relationships. Well, the, the number one thing I would say is to be specific and concrete about your plans. Get them onto a calendar, and then stick to it. I mentioned earlier how I find younger people today are less likely to be committed to their interpersonal connections. In other words, they might be more likely to just back out at the last minute of some event that had been planned. But make those plans, get them on your calendar and stick with it. The next thing is I think the big a big challenge we have is there's so many technical devices and distractions that, that lead us to solitary activity. And so you just have to remind yourself, if I'm interacting with my phone and maybe I'm sending message to other people, that's fine, but it still is not a substitute for actually seeing them in person. Hmm. If you notice that there's a big event coming up in your life, I'll give you an example. I have a daughter who's going off to college for the first time just next week, actually. And so she's thinking a lot about leaving behind some great friends she made in high school. This is a life change that's pretty regular for lots of people graduating from high school. But knowing that you're going to be leaving behind some potentially great friends Now's the time to start thinking about what are the plans you can make now to stay connected. And never before have we had such great um, technology to keep us connected, but the key thing is to keep those connections going and not just let it fall by the wayside. Isn't that an interesting thing where you've been there talking to somebody, some friend you haven't seen forever, you say, we really ought to get together and yet nobody <laughs> schedules anything. Nobody makes it formal in that moment and I, you even know kind of at some level in your head that, okay, this is not going to happen. And, yeah. and you know you're losing that opportunity. So you're saying formalize it, make it formal. And because, and, um, you know, anything that we can formalize by, I guess, having a routine or a ritual, a, a time that we meet regularly. I have friends that still go to lunch, you know, once a month as a, as a group of friends, and they just sit around and talk. That's a fantastic idea to have a ritual so that it's a regular routine, something you just know. Okay, it's that time of the week or that time of the month, and I'm just going to go and get together with my friends. Um, what I what I was thinking about more recently for me is how I never used to really schedule things with, a, let's say, a paper calendar. But with my phone now, I find it incredibly easy to make an entry in my calendar, and there it is. And so I actually have all these calendar entries for get-togethers with friends. And I find that very, very helpful. It, it partly keeps it fresh, top of mind, so I don't forget it. But it also makes it somehow more, more tangible or more real that we both, like both friends or three or four friends, all have the same calendar entry on our phones. And so we're all thinking about it at the same time. That's just one of many tricks you can use. But the key thing is to get these tricks going so that there are regular interactions. Is there, I guess, is there a point, because I'm thinking about, okay, so if I have two or three friends at work, if I have two or three friends at church, two or three friends at home, I mean, and then my family, my kids, my wife, my marriage, all of a sudden I'm not talking about uh, five friends anymore. I'm talking about 12, and they may not all have the same 
priority or value for me? How, any suggestions on how I put my most important relationships very first? Yes. Well, one of the lessons that we've gotten from research on regret is that we, we, we seem to see most people recognizing that probably the number one priority needs to be their romantic relationship, the closest intimate relationship that they have, and then, and then their kids, if they do have kids, those are going to be the most important relationships. So the standard nuclear family. And that's, that's something that's, it doesn't need any reminding. It seems like most people that we survey have a good sense of that. It's as you drop away from the nuclear family that, that the priorities seem to shift around. And, and keeping in touch with a close friend seems to be much further down the priority list than, let's say, keeping in touch with parents or keeping in touch with siblings. And I would say that we need to put these at a closer level of priority. So clearly our friends cannot be as important as our nuclear family, but they seem to have fallen away to be less important than certain trivial things like, like grocery shopping or uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, cleaning out your garage, right? And so... Or your uh, Netflix or anything else that you you, you might be escaping i mean that that you have to do but yeah at some point you've got to prioritize the relationship as equal to equal in value as your garage yes (laughs) seems like a no-brainer neil but we 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 still struggle with it don't we well neil roast we appreciate you and your great work again um so much so many tools so much in so many things that we should be uh focusing on and yet you know we, we still may have some regrets. If you want, you can go find the book, If Only, How to Turn Regret into Opportunity. That's Neil's latest book. Plus, you can also find other articles and information that Neil has been writing um, by just Googling Neil Rose, R-O-E-S-E. And again, he's a professor of psychology and marketing at Northwestern University. Ah, friends and relationships, let's put them first and bring back our health through healthier relationships. We'll continue the journey up next. We'll do a little news update, a little empty news for you. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Well, uh, not every headline is equally important, but there are some that you just need to hear about in order to know what the rest of humanity is going through. And who better to help us with that than our own Jeff Simpson with the Empty News Headlines. Hello, Jeffrey. Hello. How many concrete bricks have you broken on your chest before? Oh, you, oh! I thought you meant this morning because oh, okay. I had a big morning with concrete uh, okay. bricks. Uh, I, I think the most I've ever done is eight. All right. That's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Well, Her- there's a uh, beat this, though. A martial artist in Turkey set a new world record by having more than a dozen concrete blocks <laughs> oh, smashed on his chest. Why? In a matter of seconds. But why? I don't know. Sounds painful. The man recently set a new Guinness World Record for fastest time to break 16 concrete blocks on the body oh, for, wow. a, for a male okay. by completing the stunt in 4.75 seconds in Turkey. Unbelievable. The man bested his own previous record of 6.33 seconds as he lay on his back while an assistant smashed the concrete blocks with a 14-pound sledgehammer. And uh, I believe we have some audio of that if you're interested. Yeah, I'd love to. Oh. Ow. Oh. Wow. Yeah. 
brutal. Pretty painful. Pretty painful. Probably not worth it. Right. Also, when was the last time you found a boa constrictor in your attic? <laughs> uh, it's been years. Yeah. It's been a very, very long time. Ever since you had those pest control people come over, yeah. they also handle reptiles. Yeah. So, so an Inglewood, Florida man, of course, Florida, says after years of his family hearing odd noises in the attic, they found a boa constrictor living there, <sighs> hiding among the insulation. Probably over the last couple of years, my wife said she heard sounds in the attic. My son said he heard sounds in the attic. Homeowner Bob Vanderherken said, I didn't think much of it. I thought maybe it was rats. When a snake trapper finally removed the snake, he said it was more than six feet long uh, and may have been there for four years. Unbelievable. And uh, we got to go. But there comes a point where if you hear things in your attic... You ought to go check it out. Yeah. Go check it out. Well, if, if there's a boa constrictor, there's I'm just going to move. You know he didn't have rats because that's how he had a six-foot boa. <laughs> that boa was full of rats. Anyway, crazy story. And the, tell me, the boa could have just fallen through the ceiling. Unbelievable. See how lucky you are to be you. We'll continue the journey next hour. We'll be talking about uh, food and how to make meals for your family as they start back to school. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome to the party, friends. Yes, it is the post-eclipse party. This is the party where we give a little bit of visine to everybody. And it gets the red out. And today we're also going to learn how to uh, make back to school uh, easy by helping you get a new menu. You got to get your kids healthy. What's wrong with the old one? Well, yours involved a lot of um, kale, chill. Ch- no, what do you eat? You eat uh, chili. Don't my, you eat chili? My wife will make a chili, but it's not like your normal chili. But you eat it every day. No, but What's I the, could. You, you eat something every. I single, eat a salad, a taco salad every yeah. day. Every day, a homemade taco salad. Yep. Just go home, fixings in the fridge. It's done. Hmm. You got to try it. it. It might be good for your diet. Jeff Simpson's on a diet. He's lost six pounds-ish. Mm-hmm. Right around the middle? Is it in his shoulder? Where did he lose it from? It's it's from his left leg. The where leg. He's been sloughing yeah. Uh, yeah, flesh. It was all, you know, a lot of people talk about water weight. This is just... <laughs> Pus weight. Pus weight. That's gross. Um, they say that uh, he's he's got two weeks, a week, uh, he has to lose a pound a week over the next two weeks, and then he can break even and get a lot of his money back that he paid. Mm. <laughs> it's a good, it's a great, and it's, I've never seen him more motivated. In fact, during the break, he's like dropping and giving me three. Three what? Push-ups. Oh, Okay. I'm even doing the employee health challenge, the planks, the oh. planks this time. Oh, is that what that was? It was the uh-huh. water challenge the first time, which is how I got yeah, this you won that. wonderful yeah. Cotopaxi. Well, I don't even know how yeah. you say it. That's not how. But you won. No, actually, that was <laughs> but you, you, you And you won that because you hydrated so well. Uh, do you want to just really quickly do a plank for us on air? And let's, let's just listen to Jeffrey Liam Simpson doing a plank. 
That's it. Okay, <sighs> get back up. Get back up. <sighs> Not great audio. Whew. No, but you could hear the the him struggling under the weight. I think I could hear some <sighs> some muscle tearing. <laughs> There's some ligaments that need to be addressed, yes. So anyway, we'll talk planking today. We'll also talk back-to-school easy family meals with Karen Mangum. By the way, if that name sounds familiar, she's the one that is basically responsible for the quarterback sensation Tanner Mangum. Mm. Relax, everybody. Really tense crowd here. um, They're on edge. I think... I think that's that's a delayed reaction of them watching Jeff do a plank. Oh, okay. Like they can't believe. Oh no, he, did he it. stood <gasps> up. That was it. The struggle oh, that to was, fight against yeah, gravity. Yes. It took forever. So uh, Karen Mangum will be joining us. We'll get to uh, to get that insight. Plus, you know what what is she thinking four days before the big game? I moms might be a little nervous. Is it, is it the big game? <laughs> that's what. That's it's what the big it's... game of the week for them. For yeah, them, it's a game. Yeah, it's the it's it's a big game. When does it, when does the season start officially? Saturday. Saturday. Really? That's what we're talking about. No. Yeah. Four, he said well, four days. Is no, it like a, is it here. like a pickup game? Sort no. of. Sort of. I mean, it's, it's on organized. Their is it an exhibition for charity? Or? No, 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 no. This is it, the real it thing. Feels like it with the level of team they're playing. But, but you it, always want a so, you want a. Soft but if you start. talk to the coaches, they'll be like, "You don't overlook your opponent. These guys are really good. They had a successful year last year. They have some talent over there. We got to make sure." This is the sure. game that always scares me because. Yeah. If if it's not evenly matched, this is where someone could lose their. You could head. overlook your opponent. Wait, but if they look win, ahead, look ahead the next week with yeah. LSU. So you're telling me if they win, this actually goes no on they, their record. It does, but they get no credit for it. Oh, it's kind of like that plank you just did. So you did it, but you get no credit. You lose, you win, but you lose. Really. Winning the game means yeah. nothing because they should just blow these people out. Wow. That's really what it comes down to. I know, but to. you make it sound so negative. It is. Are this they playing a, like a high school or something? It's a division. Well, it was called Division Two. It's now called the the FCS. Huh. Yeah. Whereas BYU and other schools that you've heard of play in the FBS. And this see, is football, right? This is football. But okay. some of the top, the, the other five, the top five, what do they call the top five? The big five conferences. The big five conferences. Yes. They look at BYU as if they were an underling like yeah, this. Yeah, absolutely. See, that's why I don't like that. That is just such an elitist well, mentality. BYU needs to beat them sometime, one of those bigger schools, ooh. not just play them and, ooh, ooh they gave a good you, effort. But You're, won't they be playing against Utah, who has a brand-new freshman quarterback? He's yes. a sophomore, but yes. Yeah, oh. and they'll be playing against LSU. I mean, they've got a lot of – Stuff going on. That's why the first one, you just really want to warm up the pads. Yeah. It's Kinda about warming just, the pads. Just get up. some hits, breaking in, them in, feel good. Yeah, good stuff. Run the offense a little bit. We'll okay. be talking about that. Don't uh, lose. We'll also visit our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. Find out how they made it through the eclipse. Hmm. And um, also, I'm dying to know. Uh, I'm not going to give it away, but it's that a, was a great tease. I'm dying. To, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. It's okay, Dwayne Wade taught his son how to drive a car. How old is his son? I think 15. Okay. In a $300,000 Ferrari. Well, I mean, you use what you have at hand. Yeah. Who is Dwayne Wade? uh, He's a basketball player. 
Okay. With the Bulls now, I guess. Yes. He's not playing on Saturday, though, right? No, he won't be playing okay. this Saturday. But imagine you're a six or 15-year-old boy learning to drive, and mm. you've got to learn in a $300,000 Ferrari that you blow that, you, you're in trouble. Right. So I'm going to find out what these boys learned, where they learned to drive. What was the car they drove? Church parking lot, 72 Impala. Is that what you wrote? Yeah. No, that was probably. 72. My mom had a 72, I believe. There was also a, a 76 Nova. Mm. Nova in Spanish means? No go. No go. Yeah. Really? It's a good car, though. Yeah. But your, your Nova, Va. Or was it the Caprice? We had a lot of boats yeah. to begin with, and then the Nova. Those were our cars growing up. So that's what I learned Mother to drive Hunt. I totally get it. I had a Honda Del Sol. Really? Convertible two-seater. You had to... Unlatch the roof and then put it in the trunk of the car. That's how you learn. You learned an Adele Soul. Mm-hmm. So you you've moved from Adele Soul to a Solara. Yes, both about the sun, which is ironic because yesterday we had an eclipse. See I am how this all connects. Full of soul, Del Soul. <laughs> hmm. hmm. Interesting. Uh, Del Soul to Solara to eclipse, total eclipse of the heart. Full circle. Full circle. A journey of Jeff's life. So we'll get to that fun straight ahead. But first and foremost, to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what is going on around the rest of the country we should be worried about? A 25-year-old man faces federal charges after allegedly attempting to blow up the Dick Dowling Confederate Monument in downtown Houston. Mm. Andrew Schneck was taken into custody Saturday after being spotted carrying a box full of duct tape, wires, potentially explosive white powder, and liquid later determined to be nitroglycerin. Wow. At uh, Asked point blank by a park ranger if he tended to harm the statue, Schneck reportedly replied in the affirmative, adding that he did like that guy. Really? It says he did like that guy. I mean, I like that guy. That guy was really nice. He's a great statue. (laughs) Per the criminal complaint filed Monday, U.S. District Court, Schneck faces the charges of attempting to maliciously damage property receiving federal financial assistance. Wow. Yeah, you're Which not is a weird charge. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in other news, a jury ordered Johnson and Johnson to pay a record four hundred seventeen million to a woman who claimed the talc in the company's baby powder caused her ovarian cancer after she used it regularly for decades. Wow. This is the largest award the company's had to pay out after losing several lawsuits nationwide regarding its talc powder. The company's spokesperson said Johnson and Johnson will appeal the decision. So she yeah. get like you know sixty million or something. But it could have been a four hundred and seventeen million right. dollar payout. Wow, a baby powder. Who hasn't used baby powder? Right, somewhere, somewhere, sometime. Uh, House Speaker Paul Ryan said on Monday he had a town hall on CNN. Some people think that uh, the president scheduled his uh, live national broadcast to just uh, kind of snub his nose at Paul Ryan who had a live national town hall. I thought he was doing it to overshadow the uh, eclipse. It could have been. I don't know, but there's all these (laughs) theories. So uh, Paul Ryan on CNN uh, says a House Majority Whip Steve Scalise will be able to walk again, but he'll have to relearn how to do it as he continues to recover from the gunshot wounds he received in June at the GOP congressional baseball practice. Ryan said Scalise joined the House Republican conference call earlier on Monday and was in good spirits. Scalise was not was shot in the hip and underwent multiple surgeries after a gunman targeted the baseball practice because the members of Congress were Republicans. Oh yeah. So, but he has to learn how to walk again. Ah, oh, thought that was kind of like wow. Poor mm. guy. Um, authorities say 33 people have been injured in a train crash at a station in suburban Philadelphia. Spokesperson for the Southeastern Pennsylvania Transportation Authority said it happened around two or twelve fifteen a.m. this morning. 
when an inbound high-speed train line crashed into an unoccupied parked train. Really? None of the injuries are life-threatening. Unoccupied parked. They just had a train parked, and the other train just ran into it. Mm. Uh, Jimmy, where'd you park that train? <laughs> Sounds like a switcher issue to Not me. Not on the active track. Oh, that's just tragedy. And finally, apparently science has continued to answer the unanswerable questions in life. Really? Uh, where did I come from? This is out of Utah State. Okay. And the question was, how long should you dip an Oreo in milk? Oh, come on. So they figured it out. Hold on. This is what our kids are doing in school. Well, yeah, researchers at Utah State, they needed to figure this out. Well, can't you figure it out on your own? Well, so the they said the question just kept coming up. Okay, how long? Like, what's the best dunking time? And everyone's kind of argued about it, so they decided to put science to, you know, to, to the test and no, figure it out. Excellent. So they tried dipping a variety of cookies, everything from graham crackers to nutter butters and, of course, Oreos, several hours a day for two weeks. I think you need to really drag this sort of uh, testing out. Oh, of absolutely. Squeeze it. Says, it. Uh, they wanted to understand how cookies absorb liquids and how long it takes them to get to maximum capacity. Basically, every cookie, it draws in milk at roughly the same rate, they found. Well, sure. After just one second, the Oreo had absorbed 50% of the fluids possible. Okay. Wrong. About four seconds, the cookie reached maximum absorption and was best eaten. Wrong. So four-second dippery. That's the technical term. The technical term. It says, what it means for you and me is that if you have a graham cracker, you better hurry and shove it in your mouth. If you have an Oreo, you can finish your sentence and then eat your cookie. You're wrong. Depends how fast you speak. It says, while four seconds may be the ideal dipping time, the team found that beyond five seconds, the cookie uh, consumers may get less than desirable results. What's happening is the sugars are starting to break down as well as proteins and more complicated structure within, and that can get pretty messy as it turns into a, just a soggy, gloppy. Might be good, depending then you on your... It. Then you yeah. chug that. This you, whole dipping nonsense is just reckless. It's so reckless. You just like to eat it straight. Oh, yeah. He does... Uh, the, the professor here points out that the Splash Lab at Utah State University... Oh, 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 oh. Come again? It's a splash lab. They've done, they actually they've done some they've done some tests. There's that Oroville Dam in California. Yeah, that it was so full and it started to leak, and they were worried about it exploding and having you know huge problems. Yeah. Well, uh, they they built a, a, a smaller model of it and tried to figure out a way to fix it, and they yeah. used the splash lab because it's a way to, to do that. He says they have conducted more serious studies over the years, but this cookie study had a lighter focus for the. So the splash the lab helped with that dam leak. That dam leak. Can you watch your language, please? I was talking about the dam leak. The or- Oroville yeah. Dam in California. Or- Oroville Dam leak. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a dunker. You're not? No. I like to dunk, but... Not with cookies or in basketball. <laughs> Obviously. I mean, not to be rude. You, I mean... What, what do you mean? I Hey, speaking of uh, girls falling from amusement park rides... Mm-hmm. What? Um, a teen girl has a horrifying drop from a Six Flags, a Flags ride captured all on film. This is crazy. Saturday Don't these evening, always happen at Six Flags? It seems like they do. I think they just have a really strong PR department. Okay. <laughs> they, really get, they really get the catastrophes onto social media fast. That's right. Get them out there, boys. 14-year-old girl fell 25 feet from a ride at New York Six Flags Great Escape. The Great Falls Post-Star reports, um, thankfully, though, a group of park guests and security were able to catch her. Hmm. She fell, like, just from the tram. It was like it was the gondola. It wasn't even a 
It wasn't a scary ride. It was just the gondola. And um, apparently uh, she, in the video, you hear someone yell that the girl's neck is stuck. How scary is that? Before another person screams that they'll catch her. And with that, the girl drops into the crowd. It is it's terrifying. And um, the I mean, there's a group of probably six people underneath her, maybe eight people underneath her. But her neck is caught on the bar in the gondola. And she somehow wriggles out of that. And uh, imagine being the guy. There's a guy next to her um, trying to, I guess, hold on to her somehow. And she she eventually falls. Um, she got her head free and then was just hanging there by her arms and fell. And oh my uh, gosh. six people caught her, including one security person. But, I mean, it obviously is still a very painful fall. Uh, yeah, for everybody involved. And apparently she she was, you know, she needed treatment after, obviously. But holy cow, I don't know what's scarier is being hanging there by your neck or uh, – which is why – what if I if, – Jeff, if I said it once, I've said it a hundred times, never trust a gondola, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? But then you wonder, like, what are these kids doing? How did you start falling out of there? That's like a recurring nightmare for so many people, you know, falling down an elevator shaft or yeah. falling from yeah. a, a, you know – high place and man she's probably going to have some psychological damage and by the way the guy that caught her a 47 year old man was also injured yeah i mean well when you know 140 pounds is dropping down on you i think it turns into like 750,000 pounds <sighs> scary stuff isn't it and uh boy again this is how we're all living on the edge here um even when you go to an amusement park so be careful and maybe Buckle in. Keep your hands in at all times. And your body if you can. You know the thing that they say at Disneyland? Yeah. What was that? Oh, was that uh, that was, was an attempt. That was Russian Spanish, I think. Well, and I think the, the translation that everybody likes is cinnamon toast and tacos, por favor. <laughs> I don't think that's it. I don't think that's it. That sounds like a churro to me. Mm. Um, we've got a lot straight ahead, uh, folks. We'll continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. Back to school season is hectic around the house as we get into the routine of band practice, homework, soccer practice, and all of the other after-school activities. So making dinner and rounding everyone up for a meal can become overwhelming. Today, we have registered dietitian and nutrition consultant Karen Mangum on the show to teach us how we can eat healthy uh, and make family meals that uh, that really leaves everybody nutritionally filled and, and healthy and, and, and good, except also a positive experience. Karen, thank you again for being with us. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine, Matt. How are you? It's good to be with you. Good to be with you. Now, you, uh, you've got to be a very busy woman right now. Um, are, you, are you up in Boise or are you down here uh, at this wonderful uh, Brigham Young University? Well, I am in Boise right now, but certainly will make my way down to that beautiful Brigham Young University yes. uh, over the next several weeks as we watch our son Tanner play. Tanner Mangum is his name, and if, it, if honestly, we've been very clear on the show, Tanner is only what he is because of Karen. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and you know what? Our topic today has a lot to do with what 
we did, we felt so important as a family that we gather everybody together despite busy sports schedules um, to to eat dinner together. And, and that's a big deal. It is a big deal. Talk about why it's such a big deal. There is incredible power in the dinner hour, right? There are such great advantages. What are those advantages of eating together as a family? Well, I'm basing a lot of what I'm saying in my in my blog post, uh, and you can see that inside karenskitchen.com, but that post uh, is based on an article from the Washington Post about two years ago from a um, Harvard Medical School professor who identified a lot of benefits for families who eat together, and they really are quite amazing. Um, like even improved vocabularies for middle school or young children, elementary mm. age children, and and it's a better predictor of high achievement than than a lot of other things you could use. Um, and that is just being together as a family increases that academic performance. That's amazing, right? But, I know. But it makes sense because if you're if you're taking the time to eat a meal together, you're probably talking about other things. You're pushing uh, you're pushing new ideas out to your children. Uh, some other mm-hmm. points that you brought up is it also it, it improves their nutrition and health with their and body weight. It lowers risks of risk of obesity. There have been other things about yeah. deviant behavior. Right. Your less your kids right. are less likely to act out or to do things that mm-hmm. uh, might be against mm-hmm. your values. So, right. who would who would have thunk? Well, I've got that article linked to the. To, to the blog post, and I think everyone should go take a look at it. And, you know, it isn't just going to happen automatically just because you sit down together. Um, I mean, you do have to make the effort to ask the questions. How was your day? What did you learn? And keep it a very positive environment. It's not a time to be scolding or to um, punish. You know, it, it's a time to just kind of relax laugh, tell some jokes, um, talk about, you know, things, things that you've observed through the day and make it a positive thing. And as far as the nutrition is concerned, um, you know, overall, if families eat together, they will eat more fruits and vegetables. I mean, it's just bound to happen. Yeah. If you ate fast food every night or went out to a restaurant every night or you know, you just weren't. You just won't get that kind of quality of eating. So over the long term, it doesn't have to be fancy. You know, it just has to be uh, relatively balanced, and and doesn't have to take that much effort. But that effort will pay off in terms of nutritional intake over the long run. And I think I've even heard you say that, you know, if if you know if you do have a busy schedule, if you are running kids to carpools and you tend to eat out, well, then just try to have one or two meals at home this mm-hmm. week, and the next mm-hmm. week maybe three, and just try to find a way to get two or three or four, whatever you can get. That's exactly right. And, you know, at our house, all of our kids, all five of them played sports, and and each one of them had, we would just allow one sport per season, but for all those kids, that was a lot of seasons and a lot of uh, activities and practices after school. I did like it when practices were right after school, and there were times when we would get all of them home for the dinner hour. But, you know, the worst worst season is baseball season. Those practices are (laughs) 
you know, like they five are. to seven, right in the middle. And the games are always right in the middle of the And they go hours. forever. And they do. They go a long time. So I was known for the lady who brought the cooler, laid out the blanket, and we, I fed my family, at least the child, you know, and the child who wasn't, who was playing didn't get to eat, but, <laughs> but everybody else actually sat down and we ate a meal, kind of a portable meal, like, like uh, turkey wraps and fruit salad and, or, um, you know, I would broil some chicken and bring that with a cup of rice and a little salad. I mean, literally, we'd, we'd spread it out on a blanket and eat it right there at the baseball field. And um, that was a good way to get the meal in. But, you know, there also were times when um, the family would eat and then the child from practice would come home and I would, you know, absolutely save a meal for them and then they would eat later. But um, it still was important no matter. I think our kids knew that there was going to be a dinner hour. And and unfortunately, these days, I know families whose children aren't they're just not sure if there is going to be anything ready for them. True. At the dinner hour. I and, mean, it, that, that, that's, that's not sad, that's not healthy. It's a sad trend. That is a yeah, sad, a trend. sad trend. Yeah. Well, because too, um, uh, you also were still able to sit down with those that could and were there, mm-hmm. and still, right. it's more about the time. In a way, the nutrition uh-huh. is essential, but it's also about the time that you finally get to calm everyone down and have their ear for a bit. I think that's really key, and to look into their eyes. We don't get a lot of eye-to-eye time these days with phones taking sure. our attention. And so we put phones down, you know, no phone zone during the dinner hour. And even when we were down to our last child um, in the last five years, we just had um, our last child home. And she, the three of us, would sit down all the time for dinner. And I think she really enjoyed that time with us and uh, just knows knows that or knew that that was going to happen and that we would have a nice conversation. Um, we would try to eat foods that were interesting and we try new things. And, um, so I, I think she enjoyed it. No, I think you're right. And again, it, it, it also teaches, you know, that that you can place something as, as seemingly innocuous as eating, but you can place it as a priority and mm-hmm. um, actually become healthier by doing it. That's that's one of the benefits of being, I guess, a nutritionist is you at least know what's really going on here and what what would what's an easy fast protein, what's an easy um, whatever. Yeah. So talk to us about the meal plan. Um, what okay. what should go into these meals as we as we try to make easy fast back to school meals with our family. Well, the foundation is kind of defining what a complete meal means is important so that parents don't feel like you, you know, have to have, again, like a gourmet meal every night. It's not that uh, essential, really, or, or that complex. It's as simple as lean proteins, and that could be uh, fish, chicken, beef, turkey, or even like breakfast for dinner, eggs and a little pancake and a side of fruit salad. So always get some kind of a lean protein. And then colorful vegetables or fruits. You've got to make sure that those colorful things are in there so the kids are exposed to a lot of different foods over their lifetime. If they're never exposed 
they will not learn to like them. And sometimes it takes up to 20 exposures of a food for a child to start the process of getting used to the flavors or the textures of a certain food, and particularly with fruits and vegetables. But that's that category to me that is the most lacking. So even if it's just a you know, a, a little watermelon and, and next time we add a little strawberries or we have a little green salad with some grated carrot on it. Um, just little things that help them start learning to like new things and new colors. And then whole grains, some type of a whole grain like a quinoa or a brown rice or a whole grain pasta even. Um, hard, healthy fats, olive oil, nuts, seeds, avocado, even a little nut butter. So um, dinner could be as simple as, let's, let's think of one like a quesadilla where you have a flour tortilla there's your, and get a whole grain tortilla with maybe some cheese and chicken inside with a little bit of salsa on top. And you've covered your bases. Mm. You've got the grain, the protein, and a little bit of the, of the vegetable from the salsa. Done. It can be that simple. Yeah. Done. Well, and what's, I guess, interesting, boy, I, right when you said salsa, I'm like, if I could get my kids to eat salsa, I, the only way I can get my kids to eat salsa is pretty much sending them on an LDS mission to Mexico. That's the only way I've ever successfully been able to do it. And so... Um, well, there's lots of different kinds of salsa. I know. I must not know where to get it or how to make it. Like a mango salsa mm. or a pineapple salsa. Oh, just go to the food blog. I've got a lot of good salsa recipes on there. That's right. Or send them on a mission. Karen, let's, send them on a mission. let's take a break. You know, that's kind of an acquired taste. There's no question about it. Those are kind of um, more advanced flavors yeah. like uh, jalapeno. And, and that, that might come later, but just keep exposing them to this. And uh, I know lots of toddlers who love salsa. And I don't. I that's don't, amazing. That wasn't my no, that was my me kid. either. Not, not mine. But. Not, no one's cutting up an onion in my house. Um, we're speaking with Karen Mangum from the, the blog InsideKaren'sKitchen.com. She is uh, the creator of uh, Tanner Mangum, <laughs> the great uh, BYU quarterback right now, but just wonderful, uh, wonderful human being who's helping us live healthier lives. She's been a mom of, uh, I think, five kids and... Um, Tanner's just one of them. Come on. She's got other beautiful kids and a wonderful husband as well. We'll continue this discussion more with Karen on what else we can do to make our back-to-school meals and family meals easy and connected. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you love stronger right here on BYU Radio. to school time, folks, uh, means it is time to get back into your rituals and your routines with your family, and one of those would be family meals. So we went to the family meal expert. Uh, who better to help us with that than Karen Mangum, who is runs a wonderful blog, InsideKaren'sKitchen.com. And Karen is a mother of uh, five beautiful children and a husband. She's got it all going on, but she also has to babysit her uh, her one of her children, Tanner Mangum, who's a quarterback, 
And uh, Karen, does that stress you out? He's got a big game coming up this weekend. Does it does it stress you out when it's game time, or are you just excited to see him, you know, excel? Yeah. Well, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't nervous because I get nervous enough before every game. But honestly, I just want to be excited for him. And I, it is a game. It's a fun game. Um, and a lot of people get excited about these games. For us, it's also a time to gather our family together. We've got a, I have a lot of extended family in Utah who gather for these games. And so that makes it fun, too. So it's a time for family gathering, but also it's a time to... Um, enjoyed BYU football, which we've always enjoyed. Yeah. We've always been fans. I'm a, I'm an alumnus. I have a bachelor's and a master's degree from Brigham Young University, and have fond feelings for my alma mater. There you go. So it, it's even more fun to then have my son play for the team. That was that was really exciting. I actually, my oldest son also played for BYU, and that was fun. We came to his games as well, and and now Tana has the chance to play and. This is a fun team. I love this coach. I love um, everything about this team, the it, players, and, and this, it's just—it's very exciting. You bring up a great point about um, how, again, it's about family too. It's about gathering, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and even like the tailgating, the pregame, the postgame, or the right. parties after. And uh-huh. boy, to to create healthy family activities—that's one thing. Another thing is then to to be able to to keep it healthy by eating. Because uh-huh. I mean, you probably you would have every reason in the world to have gained a ton of weight because you've been toting <laughs> kids around to sporting events your entire life, and then going to their events and eating stadium food. Um, but <laughs> I, I guess the key is you you also and I this is a big point I get from you is you don't have to be extreme about it. You just have to kind of you just have to be informed oh that's exactly right and it doesn't you know as i said there's a lot of tradition and people have their traditions associated with their tailgating and i get that you know the the maybe the high fat meats the broths and the hot dogs and the hamburgers and that sort of thing but it also can be whatever you want it to be like you know this saturday um it's an earlier game it's a one o'clock game so my sister and I and I are planning a, a fun brunch. We're going to mm. bring in like breakfast burritos and big fruit salad. And so that's not really traditional telling no. you, but we're going to make it that way and just have fun and enjoy being together. That's really what the point is, is, you know, being together, but also eating helpfully so that we can, you want to feel good in your life and you want to take every opportunity you can to make sure that your meals um, reflect what you want to be and what you eat is who you're going to be. And um, so I, I feel really strongly about that and try to encourage people That's to smart. sort of balance it, balance it a little bit. Absolutely. Um, you also have some great tips that you, that you have for a successful dinner hour. Mm-hmm. And one of your points mm-hmm. is keep it to an hour, right? This shouldn't, this shouldn't go on all night. No, it shouldn't be uh, on all night, but at the same time, um, a consistent hour, meaning um, kind of the same time every night if you can plan it. I mean, if it's at all possible. I mean, growing up, we had the luxury. My dad got home every night at 6 o'clock. It just was like clockwork. And my mother was very conscientious about making sure there was some type of a meal at that hour. So she got all of us kids going so that dinner would be ready when my dad got hmm. home at six o'clock. I realize that is not, that's a luxury these yeah. days to know that kind of predictability. But at the same time, 
you know, if you can, somewhere around 5, 6, but sometimes it's going to be later. But as long as you at least know that dinner is going to be, um, you know, that kids have that security of knowing there's going to be something ready for them rather than, oh, I guess I have to make something for myself, which ends up being, in fact, I just had a, a, a client just the other day who said, I just don't know if my mom's going to have dinner ready, so I usually just pop a frozen burrito in the microwave, and I thought, oh, yeah. or, bowl, or have a bowl of cereal. Um, and, I, and I kind of felt sorry for that kid. There's a little lack of security there. Yeah. And over time, that can reflect in maybe their feelings of self-worth. So I just think that for as a parent, this is my responsibility to make sure that there is something ready for them and that we can sit down together and encourage your kids to help you. You don't have to do this alone. Right. <laughs> like get everybody involved and get everybody involved get everybody in the cleanup. Involved. Yeah. Yeah. That, to, yep. to me, and that's that creates this predictable, yeah. And then that's how you're growing, right? You're they're growing by learning yeah. to be responsible. I mean, you could even get them to eventually cook the meal or right. do the recipe. Right. I mean, it, it, there's right. there's just power in it, it. Prepares them and each stage of life. So you know, middle schoolers can absolutely help prepare the food, but high schoolers can can do the whole thing if they, because yeah. eventually they're going to be needing, they will do that on a mission or at school or college or a job outside of the home. They will know, they will need to know how to do that. So I, I think that's important for parents to also teach. They'll also um, know, they'll, they also need to know how to clean up. I mean, that's how, that's how your yeah. future mother-in-law yeah. falls in love with you is when you <laughs> yeah. go to your first dinner and you're cleaning up. That is the truth. That's moneymaker that right there. Very, I agree with that. And what can I help you with, you know, Mrs. Cleaver? Yeah. I <laughs> A simple question. What can I help you with? We have one more minute, Karen. What would you say is the one thing that parents can do that uh, would make the biggest bang for the buck when it comes to healthy eating and healthy families? Uh, here's a really fun thing is sit down with your kids and plan meals. So this would be one thing that you could do. It's like maybe on Saturday or Sunday night, looking ahead for the week. What should we have for meals? And let the kids be participate in that. I think that's a really fun activity. So pizza night or spaghetti night, taco night. You know, just keep it so simple. So that way you know what you need to purchase for that week. Hmm. And then the kids are more invested. Like, oh, yeah, it's pizza night. I can help mom, you know, put the stuff on the pizzas and um and and I think that in, invests children and also guarantees that there's going to be a meal and that they're going to be a part of that meal. So not only are we creating um, inclusion and security, but we're also creating healthy minds and bodies that have to go, that, that create a good, healthy family environment. Good stuff. Karen Mangum, you are the best. And uh, boy... Good luck with your child, uh, his game this Saturday. But more importantly, let's learn from Karen. What great uh, wealth of information and I, and so many ideas. Get your kids involved. Let them. Ask them what they want to eat and then involve them in the setup and the takedown and the cleanup. Um, it's about family time, really. It's not just about nutrition. It's also about connection and uh 
and creating some habits that will last a lifetime. Go check out Karen's website, InsideKaren'sKitchen.com, InsideKaren'sKitchen.com. We'll continue the journey with our friends from BYU Sports Nation straight ahead. be friends and we are we're now going to shoot it down to our good friends spencer and jerem from byu sports nation to find out what will be on their show in just 10 short minutes away hello gentlemen think before you key (laughs) yeah that's one of those we're just trying to help people you know it's great advice you know think before you we think before you key and think before you flee Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm That's how we roll. Most things require, yeah, think about this before. You should. But I have uh, five boys that live with me that never think before doing any of that. I always go with the advice of one Dwight uh, Dwight Schrute from The Office. Oh, what? I think to myself, would an idiot do this thing? And if he would, I do not do that thing. (laughs) (laughs) Profound. Dwight Schrute. He is, uh, that is one profound man. (laughs) Indeed. And, and boy, can he, he's like a master of the beat, right? Oh. He loves a good beat. Hey, uh, speaking of beats, um, how was the eclipse last night? <laughs> last night? I mean, yesterday, sorry. I was, I was caught up in my beat comment. Like, I ain't seen no sun out here at night. Terry Where writes, you at, son? Where you go, man? <laughs> Terry, you know Terry I, writes all of my segues. I was more fascinated by it than I thought I would be. It's oh, it pretty cool. It's humbling, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's very cool. Uh, one from yeah, just the whole cosmos. Literally cooler. Uh, it was experience, but yeah, that was the thing that was the most interesting to me was how wonderful it felt outside. It was still sunny, yeah. but it was like we were on the beach in Maui uh, in November, and it was seventy-five degrees. And didn't you feel like you're you had less radiation? Yes, I just felt no, healthy. There was less direct sunlight, for real. It really, it was amazing. And what's funny though is you get through the moment of like the first time you look at it through the glasses, and then you're like, oh, oh yeah, yeah okay. And then then you look at each other, and you're kind of waiting for five more minutes, and there's nothing to say except like, wow, it's cooler out here. Then then you got that discussion done. Mm-hmm. Then, then the like shadows. shadows. Then it becomes the shadows. Shadow discussion. Uh huh. And then there's always the there, there's always the one that brings in the other odd way to view it, like you know the the cereal box or the papers. <laughs> there's that one, and then you go do that for a minute, and then oh, let's go back to the. It's just this interesting dance of humanity trying to make sense of everything. I was yeah, waiting was... for the second coming myself. The rapture. Nobody, but nobody was buying into it. It's kind of yeah, sad. there's too much stuff that has to go downstairs. By the way, I was sad because I went to the roof to do this. I thought we had all agreed to go to the roof, and um, you guys were Why all— Why would you go to a restaurant in Salt Lake? It's just because we're—it's great food there. And you a great view. wealthy, and it yeah. tastes great. And and it, healthy, I love and a good wise. buffet. But I, you were all in the back, and I, I missed seeing you. We, we were hanging out with uh, Terry I know. North. I wanted to see you guys in the glasses. Luckily, Terry had some. I know. So then we could borrow them. That's what I did. That we, was nice. Uh, I We were passing glasses around um, upstairs, and I forgot to tell everybody that I had pink eye. So, Oh, oh boy. My bad. Sorry, <laughs> Enjoy everybody. Enjoy that eclipse. <laughs> 
That eclipse brought us together for a few minutes, but it'll be lasting with us for weeks. Brought to you by Bob Costas. <laughs> Conjunctivitis. Hey, um, here's a question for you. Did you guys hear about Dwayne Wade teaching his son uh, to drive a car? How old is his son? His son's 15, apparently. Okay. But he taught oh, so him... he's a farmer in Idaho? No. Oh. He's teaching him to drive the car, though, in a $300,000 Ferrari. Yeah. So, well, here's the ideology behind that. Yeah. If I let him drive a really nice car, he will be really careful. Great point. Because he doesn't want to make me upset. Great point. Yeah. What did you guys learn to drive in? I learned to drive Lamborghini in a 1989 Toyota Camry. Sweet. And the first time I drove by myself with my license with no supervision was in my sister's 1991 red Mitsubishi Eclipse of Whoa, all things. Oh, speedster. Welcome to Fast and Furious High School Edition. Yeah, I got in trouble because I got home like an hour and a half later than I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm, of course you did. Or you were dragging me. was taken away. When the fun stuff happened. What did you learn in uh, Jerome? Kind of van. I don't remember what kind. Oh, like a, a van. Seven passenger van. Oh, you were that kid. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it had like these blue lights on the side where you enter. Oh, sweet. And, <laughs> and a cop pulled me over and said, these are illegal in Utah. I was like... I'm supposed to know that? Yeah, how do, how do I know that? I'm only I 14. I barely got my license, you know, like. <laughs> That's cool. Nothing better than a teenage boy in a van on his first date. <laughs> Down by the river. <laughs> <laughs> kind of creepy, but Man. it still works. Hey, what's on your show today, gentlemen? Oh, the depth chart has been released for Ooh, BYU football. Okay. We know the starters. We know their backups. It's game week for the Cougars. And there are some surprises in there. We will discuss what stuck out from the depth chart, plus an interview you absolutely have to hear with Portland State's head coach, Bruce Barnum. Really? We may or may not have had to edit it. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. Plus Blaine Fowler. Salty. uh, What he thinks of the depth chart. Will BYU be ranked at any point this season? We'll discuss that with Blaine. And a new Between the Lines with Lauren McLean. Yes. The football team gets back at us for our superlatives. Really? <laughs> By us, we mean BYU TV sports, not just the two of us, which is great because I like laughing at others too. Yes. Oh, good. So it's so everyone's involved in the takedown of BYU broadcasting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Excellent. Yeah. Hmm. By the way, what's how deep is your depth chart for BYU Sports Nation? Uh, Jeremy and I... Well, it depends. Yeah, we have all kinds of positions. So there's host. Yeah. Host, there's host and co-host and producer producer and graphics. Board and op. Yeah. Instant Tech, clip and yeah. audio. Director. Yeah, we, yeah, technical yeah. We're director. We're deep, man. We're super way, deep. Yes. Way deep. We like the depth we have this year. Yeah. Hopefully we don't a have lot. any injuries this year. I'd hate the show to go down for a little bit. but Injured like a like a yeah. jammed finger. I can't mm-hmm. do graphics. Yeah. Strained vo- vocal cords. Well, gentlemen, we love you and uh, your great show. Keep it up. Uh about four and a half minutes away, folks, you can all jump on board and go ride the BYU Sports Nation train right to Utopia, where they've cleaned up the salty language of apparently the Portland coach. How cool is that? Uh, so much to talk about, uh, so little time. But as you know, we always like to end the show with a hero story. And so who better uh, who better to be our hero than an American tourist in Barcelona, who risked her life to rescue a teenage boy moments before a terrorist van careened in his direction. According to a report, Sherry Weiss of Los Angeles was walking on the city's famous La Rambla Boulevard when she heard the clinging sound of a car hitting metal 
and then saw bodies fly up in the air, she told ABC's Good Morning America on Friday. When I realized I had to jump to my right, I saw maybe a 14 or 15-year-old boy and like a deer in the headlights. He just froze, Wise said, and I could tell on his face he didn't know what to do. So when I jumped to the right, I pulled him and pulled him behind a pole with me, and we crouched down together on the ground. Moments later, she said she saw the van hit an older gentleman who went flying. Wise recalled in the interview that she didn't even have time to react. I thought methodically, uh, there's a car coming at me. There's people running everywhere. She said, I'm almost, I didn't have time for any emotion. All I thought about was, I don't want to get killed. I have kids. I have to get out of the way. Weiss then uh, said she immediately called her family as she crouched behind the pole. I just started screaming into the phone, I'm alive, but there's people dying and blood. She said, honestly, I don't even remember what I said to my daughter. Thirteen people were killed in that horrific attack. And uh, by the way, amazing story of our heroic uh, Sherry Weiss. So, Sherry, thanks for being the hero of the day. And I'm sure that 14-year-old boy has already thanked you as well. To be a hero, folks, you don't have to always risk your life. Sometimes you just need to be there. And uh, we can all be there a little bit more for each other. Let's look around, take care of each other, create some of that spirit that we had with uh, the eclipse and just the, the camaraderie we felt there. That's the show, my friend. We'll be back again tomorrow to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. BYU Sports Nation is up next.